0: Somebody had mentioned the the lips, uh, you know, in the courtroom in the the chat that I saw earlier. It's a very important thing because a lot of people were convinced that he was that he was trying to stifle my niece's testimony. But that's Mm -hmm. not the truth. What What I was sitting in the courtroom at the time and my my niece kept mouthing to him. She kept trying to speak to him directly, like just just mouthing words, not not vocalizing. So in between questions during those those silences, she's trying to speak to him when she walked up and sat down. The first thing she did was try to try to communicate to him directly at the defendant's table. And through that, my brother had had nudged and and tried to to get his attorneys to to say something about it, uh, to to make it stop during during the test. I'm going to explain but all this. In nobody was saying to anything him. to her about it. It was a problem. As it turns out, then, he was doing a dad reaction and 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 said, please stop. Please stop mouthing at me. Steal your lips. Just stop doing that. He didn't try to interfere with the testimony. Clearly, she was able to say whatever she wanted on the stand. That's not how this worked at all.
1: So for anybody who doesn't know or what we're talking about right now, what the context to that is, we're going to get into it. Uh, in the context of this stream. Uh, for those who do, I'm, I'm just going to show you the picture because it's an amazing thing where you read something in the news, and then if you decide to try to dig in a little bit, when you don't find answers immediately, or even after digging in a lot, well, then you have a lot more questions. This is the image, the infamous image of Zachariah Anderson at the trial allegedly intimidating one of the witnesses during his murder trial, the witness being his 14-year-old daughter at the time, At the time, 14-year-old daughter. This picture, close your lips when you're testifying, was suggested by everybody. Everywhere that I saw was suggested as being the defendant in real time intimidating his daughter into shutting up during the testimony that they said incriminated her father. And by all accounts, it did because he got convicted. I tried to find... What testimony was being spoken at the time of that image? Because I couldn't find the the timestamp in any of the the live broadcasts, couldn't find it in any of the news. And I was like, well, Jesus, was she saying something like really damning? Or is there another explanation to this that might not be what the headline news is running post-conviction in order to justify this conviction and make this guy look like the monster that many people believe he is? So that's it. That was the context. We're going to get into it, and that's his brother Solomon Anderson uh, on an interview with a recovering addict. Um, did a podcast with him. We're going to get into this entire trial. Zachariah Anderson convicted of murdering. Uh, I, I'm going to forget all the names in this, and it's not to be disrespectful. It's because there's too many names. Um, and I was on a panel about a week and a half ago, and this subject came up, and I was like, Oh, I, I read about it very briefly. It's like, Oh, okay not that I believe everything I read in the news anymore, it's quite the opposite, but had no knowledge to formulate an opinion. The panel, which consisted of nine other attorneys, said this was the most egregious trial, the most egregious miscarriage of justice. Guilt or innocence aside, because he might still be guilty, as a process, this was the most egregious miscarriage of justice imaginable in terms of what evidence was allowed in, what evidence was not allowed in, what witness tampering might have actually occurred, um, beginning to end. This is a murder trial in Kenosha. The judge of this trial is the judge from the Rittenhouse trial. And if you don't know the story, we're going to get um, Zachariah Anderson's brother to talk about it. Before we do that, let me just make sure that we are, in fact, running properly everywhere. Okay, so I'm, uh, we're on Rumble, which is good. Hit the plus button on Rumble. Share the link around. We'll make the landing page so people can hear about this. Uh, are we simultaneously on Locals, we are on vivabarnslaw.locals.com. Okay, Solomon, I'm going to bring in, in about 30 seconds. Uh, standard disclaimers, no medical advice, no legal advice, no election fortification advice. Super chats, YouTube takes 30%. If you want to support the channel, you can do it on Rumble. They have Rumble rants. Rumble is not taking any of this of, of that amount for the rest of the year. They typically take 20%. Best way to support the channel, if you like what we do here, vivabarnslaw.locals.com. Uh, become an annual subscriber and you can see the behind the scenes documentary, uh history of Chattanooga through the eyes of Robert Barnes as he relives his childhood. OK, let's do this. Solomon, I'm bringing you in in three, two, one. Sir, how goes the battle?
0: It's uh, it's more of a marathon than a foot race, so it's going well enough.
1: Do I want to do wide angle? I'll do wide angle. I think it's, I think it frames better. Sure. Yeah,
0: that, that's good. <laughs> I
1: was gonna say, I can't. Now we're going to get into the hand gesture, what it means before people start hypothesizing as to satanic worshiping. Um, Solomon, let, let's, okay. Everyone knows the backdrop. Your brother was just convicted of murder um, um, in a trial where people who paid close attention to it and legal minds uh, took serious issue with a number of things uh there's a gofundme to help him raise funds for his appeal we're gonna i mean i've already shared that link around uh, last week we're gonna share it around again before we even get into all of this um who, so who are you where are you from and what was what was family life like as children i mean what, what's your relationship like with your brother how many siblings and, and and the whole family situation which some people might not know
0: uh well my name's solomon i'm zach's younger brother by four years just about uh and uh and total there were nine siblings most of them are half siblings to us uh the eldest four were from our original two parents and they separated and had more children afterwards so nine total children. my next elder brother passed away in 1982 he was about nine months old give or take uh with uh, an accident in the in the bathtub so uh so i wasn't even around yet at that time um my parents split up uh actually while my mother was pregnant with me um I believe that it was kind of like a last-ditch effort to salvage their marriage after my brother's passing. Um, and uh, and so uh, with that, we ended up being placed primarily with my mother until 1989. My father had remarried, uh, and uh, and my mother decided to uh, leave us and move to Texas. She kicked us out, uh, told us to get off her lawn, actually, and walk down the road. So the my, my older two brothers and I were very, very close. We were very much... Uh, raised in a situation where we, we bonded together and took care of each other to a great degree. Um, that's Josh, Zach, and myself. Um, the other siblings came for the most part later, and my my next younger sister moved to Texas with my mother, but, uh, but the rest of us went with my dad. My dad got divorced in, I think, 1991, uh, and then we were raised by a single father for quite a few years. So, during those years, you know, as a single dad with three boys, he did the best he could, but you know, there's only so much that you can do. You still have to be working. You still have to be able to maintain the home and, and, and it's a hard stretch. So, uh, my brothers and I were, were very, very close. We fought like cats and dogs. We bickered through most of our childhood and, and like brothers do, uh, we came out the other side still closer than, than, uh, than other siblings, you know, might be in, in different circumstance. So, uh, Zach, Zach and Josh have, uh, have always been, you know, kind of my caretaker, even from those, those early years. Um, with that being said, that's, you know, kind of the role that, that Zach took as, as I grew up, he, he made sure that I got my license. He, he spent the hours on the road driving with me. He got me my first job, uh, out of, outside of agriculture and he drove me to work and home, regardless of the weather. He, uh, he bailed me out of, out of bad situations where I had um you know i had a a a girlfriend who's uh who's you know an alcoholic and she was abusive and uh and he got me a job and showed up with a u-haul truck and moved me you know he's he's uh he was always my parachute when i needed it he was always there for me and uh and that that's a big part of of why i continue to fight
1: um how old are you and how old is uh zach
0: so i'm currently 39 and uh and he turns 43 in july
1: um okay and i had another question I, it's gonna be a silly question i presume there was a religious element in your family zachariah solomon joshua
0: yeah yeah my uh, I, don't,
1: I don't know much about the bible but i know that
0: <laughs> yeah you, you didn't even hear our middle names uh it's uh joshua daniel zachariah joseph aaron elijah solomon moses right so so it's uh it's it's very heavy. She started with the Old Testament. Uh, my 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 mother was raised very Catholic, very much so Catholic. My grandmother was was a, a staunch Roman Catholic, and uh, and so she started with the Old Testament. And for the most part, we're we named in some sort of uh, religious nod or some some respect to the to to the Bible and and, and that piece of our family history.
1: All right, now what we're going to do before we get into the actual trial stuff, we're going to move, it doesn't change anything for us. I'm going to end this on YouTube and we're going to be exclusive on Rumble and Locals. Uh, So everybody on YouTube, head on over to Rumble. The link is in the pinned comment in the chat and I'll post the entire interview later to YouTube. So I'm just going to end it on YouTube now. Okay, so uh, where do we start? Let's, Let's start from the beginning of context leading up to the... Uh, the events, the trial, the conviction. Your brother did not get married to uh, the girlfriend from which they have now the daughter that testified at court. What was what was that relationship like?
0: Well, they have three children total, and they were never married. Um, they uh, they started out very well. I uh, I think that uh, they started out in in a, in a very good way. Then Olivia came along. Uh, oh man, um, my niece came along. And, uh, and, and it was, um uh, it was a good relationship. He, he fell in love with her quick and fast and they, they, they were there for each other. There was a point where, uh, where they started to run into some problems. Um, uh, my brother is, uh, stubborn, very stubborn. Uh, and, and Sadie was, um, uh, uh, she wanted to be able to, uh, control or control and push him in, in different directions. There were a lot of arguments that they had had over, over years and and you know the text messages that we received were that my brother was out of control those were her words um but uh but my brother always bristled at someone trying to tell him what to do or how to live his life or or anything like that it was it was never a good situation so you just you just kind of let him figure it out on his own for the most part which doesn't mean that they had a very healthy relationship i i can't say uh and and that's unfortunate for them they're two consenting adults in a relationship and there was a point where you know, both my brother, Josh and I were, uh, we were, we're very much, uh, hands off. I think she had made a comment to the media that we were, we refused to help. Uh, but there was no help to give. They were, they were together for at that point over 10 years. And there was no reason why, why we should come in and, and tell my brother to, you know, to whatever, I'd, you know, try and, you know, hear her out or whatever it is. they had to figure out how to communicate between each other. So they had some some rocky points in their relationship where they would take a break. you know he he bought his home and moved out and they didn't live together starting in 2011. They were still together, uh, but they didn't live together starting in 2011. So that was that was a, an important point in their relationship that that helped them actually live a healthier relationship. Uh, my brother's just a little particular, uh, you know, he's very sensitive to noise and stuff like that. And he's just, he can be a challenge to to live with just as a partner. So uh, he, that doesn't make you a bad person, but it was good for them to do that. And, and so over the years they had sort of this, they, they described it as an on again, on and off, but they like took repeated little breaks or they, they would, they would get in a, an argument or whatever. And then. Uh, you know, a week or two later, they would start talking again and they would work it out, you know, and that was the nature of their relationship, sort of non-traditional. Uh, but, uh, they still loved each other nonetheless, and they were still, uh, kind of drawn to each other, uh, like magnets. So, uh, you know, from, from what our perspective was on their relationship, uh, you know, it was up to them to figure out, uh, just like it was it's their children they have three children together to to raise as as they see fit uh you know and there's not a lot that that we're gonna do or say to get in the middle of that that's that's up to them to figure out um so this uh this this situation where she claims that they were broken up but he said that they were on a break that was not abnormal for them that was nothing new
1: all right and did they have other other did they date other people in this in this on and off time where they were living apart but on and off together
0: there were other people yeah I I can't say specifically if there was anyone that uh you know that that I can point the finger at that Sadie had invited into their life but there were there were other people that that came and went but no matter what Zach seemed to uh you know just keep a special place in his heart for Sadie and they they continue to persevere
1: so now this culmin I mean I guess culminates but begins with tell us what happens uh of the event and then what happens of the investigation and then what happens of the trial? We'll get to that in a bit. But the event itself, like, w- w- how does that event unfold?
0: Well, from my brother's perspective, he had his children that weekend. He was very tired. He took a nap and he woke up, talked to his girlfriend for a little bit, searched some stuff on the internet, took another nap, got up, went to the store, bought some stuff, and went to work, went to go file his taxes. And carried on with his life, then made up for the the, the date that he had overslept the night before by uh, by spending that Monday evening, the Monday the eighteenth of May of twenty twenty, with with a woman that he was dating at the time. Uh, on the nineteenth, he carried on his life like normal, uh, and then two men show up at his home and uh, and they ask for him by name. One is fidgeting with his waistband. Uh, they're trying to look into his windows. He's he's uh, he's put off by it. He asks what they're doing on his property, and and they ask for him by name. He said, "Well, I'm his brother. Uh, he's not here right now, uh, and and of course lies and deflect, de- deflects the situation to try and get them to leave because it was not a good situation. They're trespassing, and and they they seemed like they were there to do him harm. Uh, so they leave. Uh, he calls my brother and my dad. One of them tells him that he needs to call the police. My brother leaves the Christmas tree farm to drive down uh, to, to be there for him in case these men come back as a witness. Uh, my, my, my brother, Zach calls the police, dials 911. The police show up and they arrest him. They take him to, to the Mequon police department. Uh, my eldest brother, uh, arrives, uh, they flag him over to the Mequon police department. They hold both of them in, in interrogation rooms, uh, for some time before questioning them. Uh, they they I believe they started questioning Zach at uh like eleven thirty or almost midnight at that point after he had been up all day when he was already very tired uh and they held my brother Josh until uh I think they questioned him until after midnight so they had they had held them both. They didn't really tell them why they had arrested or detained them at the time and uh, And then started questioning him about about the situation. So, from his perspective, he had no idea. He called for help because two suspicious men trespassed on his on his property that appeared to mean him harm. and then And then he called for help, and the police show up and and, and arrest him.
1: the the two The two men who showed up were undercover or were police?
0: They were neither. They were Michael Campbell and Brandon Hendri- uh, Hendrickson. Uh, both of them were witnesses that testified on the stand during the trial. So there were two civilians that that were in contact with the police that then in, interfered with the police investigation by going to confront my brother because uh, my brother was pointed out as a suspect. Uh, and uh, and then they saw no charges and no response by the by the Kenosha PD for doing that. And moreover, my, uh, uh, Michael Gravely had described Michael Campbell as a hero in the denny motion that was filed in the court for interfering with the police investigation for going to confront my brother uh in this situation which is still illegal i don't understand why this is done
1: oh, so hold on we got we got you, you gotta you have the curse of the knowledge which you're going to know more than know. a lot of people yeah. <laughs> and, and i i didn't follow the trial in real time I, yeah. I did as much catching up as i could afterwards to come to my own you know quasi-educated opinion the the two individuals who come this is after the the after the uh, uh, you know murder had, uh, uh, although they've never found a body and we'll,
0: we'll get never to that never found a body never proved this that it is was after, a after
1: and it occurred on what it was the the evening of May
0: 17th or May 18th so the, the uh the state alleges that that it occurred on the evening of May 17th of 2020 so that's a sunday night uh the 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 prosecutor claimed that that this occurred at about 10 p.m uh when the when the murder occurred uh, and that, uh, and that, uh, Mr. Gutierrez was never heard from again. At that point, his phone was put in the freezer at at ten ten p.m., and then there was an orientation change, and at like ten forty five, ten forty four, or something like that. Um, and then, and then, Gutierrez's phone is silent and not touched until it was discovered in the freezer uh, at the I think the twenty first or twenty fourth of May, uh, which is uh, well after my brother was arrested by. Uh, gutierrez's mother when she was cleaning out the apartment
1: okay um and now the, uh, it, uh, do you know how they're able to pinpoint the time that the phone goes into the freezer
0: uh only because uh they they it was discovered in the freezer uh and they they uh, saw that the orientation change happened at ten ten when they when they downloaded the information off of the cell phone it tracks all of the orientation changes text messages and other events that the phone experiences
1: orientation as in the phone's location or the angle of the phone
0: angle okay. of the phone landscape to
1: portrait okay orientation change 10 10 the evening of the 17th of may 2020 this is like right after COVID hits which is going to be relevant i think in a second um yeah so three days go by two or three days two days the, yeah The individuals who come to see your brother, um, they know what happened. Whether or not your brother does depends on, you know, who you believe in this. But they presumably are there because they know something happened and they've come to contact or to interrogate your brother. Known to the police? Did the police know that they were doing that?
0: No. So the police did not know. Uh, at least that's what they had claimed. That uh, Detective Correa told uh, Michael Campbell to not do anything. Uh, that's what Correa said. So Correa Correa testified in the courtroom that he told Michael Campbell to not do anything. Michael Campbell then did his own sleuthing or whatever it was that he claims that they did, and then and then went to confront my brother. Drove over an hour uh, just to show up at my brother's house. Uh, now I. I had heard that he was waved through a police line because they were setting up uh the uh the, the search on my brother's property and that the the local police had had set up cars and waved him through to the property to then um have let him confront my brother thinking that he was a member of the Kenosha police undercover uh that was going through to uh to set up this search.
1: And just so people are also totally clear Gutierrez the the, the victim in in this Uh, was dating your brother's ex-girlfriend. It was dating um, Sadie, I think, is is your brother's...
0: That's correct. ...girlfriend at the time. Yeah, she was dating Sadie and a couple of other women at the same time.
1: How long long had he been dating Sadie for at the time of the event?
0: He had started speaking with Sadie on February the 13th of 2020. So at that time, it was three months. They had met in person maybe a half a dozen times most.
1: Okay, that's that's very interesting. If we're piecing this all together, the media was describing Zachariah as an obsessed ex-boyfriend. This was not not to qualify it or anything, but not a serious relationship in that they had only met each other, from what you're saying, a half dozen times or so.
0: Give or take. Yeah, because there was issues with both 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 of them having children, uh, them not being comfortable bringing each other around each other's children at that time. Uh, and so there was some scheduling issues, COVID hit, there was a bunch of other problems that uh, that sort of ran this into a, a compact set of issues that, that they only testified that they really had only met like in person, I think it was about a half dozen times.
1: Well, what I say is interesting about this, and now I'm learning a few things as the details are filled in, but This, you know, when it comes to the stalking charges that your brother was also convicted on and him asking your daughter, his daughter, your niece to put a camera in a a vent to, you know, spy and stalk. Look, if one wants to find a non criminal explanation for that, it might be that there's a, you know, a man who's not well known now, you know, in the proximity of his ex-girlfriend and potentially children. I don't know what the, what that is there, but so that's interesting and in that this was not a long-term established relationship that was going places, you know, potentially leading to, you know, whatever. This was a new and, and very young relationship, if, if it could even be called that.
0: Right. Yeah. And that was... Kind of, it was how it originally was presented. Was that Sadie and, and Gutierrez were in this incredible once in a lifetime relationship? It was sort of how how it was described in in the press and how it was presented. Is that is that she had said, "I think I want you to be my person for a while," uh, in a in a text message to Gutierrez. But it was presented in the court that all he did was like send a heart emoji. He didn't reciprocate. He was just like, "It's the equivalent of a fist bump." Mm-hmm. Like, uh, "Yep, thanks for sharing." Uh, or I like that you shared that with me sort of a sort of a statement and which was odd to us as a family seeing that for the first time you know because you know if she felt a special connection to him I'm not disparaging their emotions hopefully that she was going to find some sort of connection with someone uh, because it seemed like it was inevitable that this that her relationship with my brother was coming to an end after a dozen years and uh and it was unfortunate, but it was a necessary thing. They had a family court date set already. They were going to court to, to argue for custodial placement of the children. My brother was was gathering information to be able to take it to family court to then get as much time as he could with the kids. Uh, there was a family issue you know, that started right around my niece's birthday that they spent almost every day together. So there were some issues with, with Sadie's testimony and, and the fact that she said that he was not welcome in her home and that, that he you know, that she was afraid of him. Well, that's not the case. They spent almost every single day together from roughly the end of April through the beginning of May. And and that's just the reality of the situation that we as a family got to see, you know, and and, and we we were frustrated to see that it was misrepresented to such a gross degree. You know, my brother did his laundry at Sadie's house during this break that they had. Like he would take his laundry over there and do it. He was welcome in the home it was not uncommon for him to be over there to pick up the kids that was this was a complete misrepresentation of of the reality of their relationship and and I, mean, I can't say that they had a healthy exchange the entire time during those you know those couple of months it was clear that they had arguments over the phone as one of the one of the detectives or one of the police officers testified to most of the recordings that my brother had on his computer were the arguments between a man and a woman primarily about the children right and and this was an important thing to note when discussing these chart these stalkers stalking charges that that they claim that my brother was invited over to the house she asked him why he didn't spend the night one night she invited him over for panda express she texted him good night xoxo you know z bear this this does make sense
1: well let me ask the obvious question that i think some people might be asking the stalking conviction was it on uh, sadie or was it on gutierrez both okay uh and uh, let me I, I should also just we'll lay out some facts right away for everybody who's watching that might not be familiar with this uh there's no body there's no murder weapon there's no definitive um type of murder weapon they said at one point blunt force like a, a baseball bat then changed mm. that to a, sh- a sharp object No body. no video recording Um, The event occurs on May 17th. So what you're saying is they met maybe a half dozen times. This was not a a long-term relationship. It wasn't like, if you're trying to explain the obsessed ex-boyfriend flipping out, maybe that narrative doesn't have all the pieces to that puzzle that you'd need. Some people are asking, do I understand that he was recording uh, uh, Gutierrez with Sadie with his phone?
0: That never happened.
1: What was the, I I might be getting ahead of the chronology here, but uh, his daughter, your niece, testified that, uh zachariah had asked her to go record or put a camera in events to record Uh, it was either sadie or the two of them together
0: so there were some issues with with that testimony uh the the living room is on the opposite side of the house from where she claimed the car was parked so it was on literally the opposite side of the house you'd have to have x-ray vision to see him walk up to the air conditioning unit and to place the phone in the vents, the little fans on the side of the air conditioning unit, to try and listen uh, through that thin veil, right, through the AC unit's uh, expansion uh, on either side to what was being said inside of the home. So I'm not sure exactly what she was talking about. It wouldn't be possible to have seen that situation. So there's issues with uh, the factual basis of, of this testimony. Okay. uh moreover uh the, the the video footage that they played was the sounds of footsteps in the night through the dark, uh and then what appeared to be some sort of blue lit window, and then Sadie said, "That's my window, but there's no definitive proof that that was her window. It was a window in the night, uh and there's no no footage of her and Gutierrez. there's no no footage of of him peeping in. There, none of that exists. It's not there.
1: Okay, so I mean, it's 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 incredible uh, um, juxtaposition from what is reported versus what um, you know what might have been evidence in reality. Okay, May seventeenth, the event occurs. They know that the phone was last moved to ten ten. It's in a freezer. Um, your brother is only confronted for the first time two days later by the That's two correct. individuals who. How are they related to Gutierrez?
0: Uh, Michael Campbell and, and Brandon Hendricks are are both friends of Rosalio Gutierrez. Uh, So so they 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 had
1: known what had happened and they had been in touch with the police and they come, notwithstanding apparent police orders to talk to Zachariah. um, Your brother says, does he know who they are?
0: No idea who they are.
1: So he sees two people that he does not know who they are and then he calls the police. That's correct. There's evidence that he calls the police.
0: Yes, there's a 911 call.
1: What did he say during that 911 call?
0: We don't have the recording, and we need his consent to get it from the Mequon PD. Uh, but uh, to my understanding, he he, uh, he reported that there were two men that that uh, that showed up at his house, questioning him about a missing person, and uh, and he, and they were they were threatening him, and he he was seeking some sort of protection or 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 uh, or some intervention because he didn't know what was going on.
1: And when you say you don't have that, your brother has that, defense has that recording, correct?
0: I, I would assume that it would be part of the discovery, but okay. they never played it during the trial. And uh, and I'm only paraphrasing what I was told was, was, uh, was said.
1: Okay, that's interesting. I'd, I'd be curious to know why they didn't play it, if what was said on it would have been exculpatory. Uh, but also, if he had done what he's convicted of having done, would he be calling the cops first thing? Um, right. Which which we know that he did, but we don't know what he said during that call definitively. Um, and so then he gets taken into custody. Uh, he and your older brother are what do they call it? Uh, not deposed, but interrogated. interrogated. for yeah. how long?
0: Oh, uh, six hours, Von Zach. Wow. Uh, and six or seven hours. Zach was in in Mequon PD, and Josh was there for almost five, give or take.
1: And when do they tell them? Ultimately, why they're there, or what Zach had
0: no idea that he was an interest, uh, a serious interest in this missing person and potential homicide until he was transported to Kenosha when they when they had actually presented him paperwork um, that said uh, you know that they were investigating for intent a first degree intentional homicide. Uh, so he had no idea that this guy had gone missing and that they thought that that he had been murdered. He had absolutely no idea. Like, it was a man that my brother had never met, and he had only looked him up uh you know on the internet i uh, had never met him in person nothing like that had seen him you know uh, to to his to his statement that uh, that he had gone to to Sadie's home uh in the early morning hours of of the 25th i uh, had seen him once and that was it
1: before we get into the arrest um and then the, you know and i'm going to ask some questions about what you know of the investigation leading up to the arrest if i may ask the indiscreet question your brother had uh for anybody who wants to you know, go by character assassination or character judgment. Your brother had a criminal record for nonviolent drug possession, drug. What was his criminal record about?
0: Uh, Yeah, he was, uh, he was uh, pulled over in South Dakota transporting. um, uh, I, Twenty pounds of marijuana. I don't remember the exact poundage, but of uh, criminal possession of ten or more pounds of marijuana uh, that he was driving back to uh, to I don't know Illinois or Michigan wherever wherever it was. He I don't I don't really know where he was taking it back to, but he, he was transporting it from the West Coast uh, over over uh, to one of the Midwest states that uh, that he had a connection to.
1: How how long ago was that?
0: That was ooh, uh, November of. 2019 he was pulled okay over, rel- like rel-
1: relatively recently
0: uh yeah so that that was during that time period otherwise he had he had no criminal record uh from when he was about 18 years old until he was pulled over in south dakota he was totally totally did, free do,
1: what came of that or did he go to did he get did he stand trial for that yet or what, what happened with that
0: uh he actually uh he 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 pled uh so he he just pled guilty to the charge and they 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 he paid his fine and and they gave him a sentence for it
1: okay what he went to jail for that
0: he, he was already in jail uh they they the, the court proceedings ended up um finishing after he was already arrested for the stalking charge
1: okay i think i understand that all right um no violent no violent charges or no violent convictions in his past for what for whatever that's worth no uh, and now during the trial i know that uh, drug gr- drug production or growing drugs came up um, or was he he was also growing marijuana on on the property on his property at this time
0: that's what they had presented in the courtroom now my brother had started an llc specifically to uh, to set up a cbd company uh, he was interested in setting up a CD, cbd company so uh, I'm not sure exactly, you know, what what he was doing behind the scenes to do that, but he had already established an LLC uh, to handle that, and he was he was uh, setting up and and he had a a connection, I think, in in Michigan that he was he was working out how to how to how to set that up and how to grow legal. So I'm not sure exactly what he was doing, but uh, they claimed that he had 72 plants in his hand or in his in his home, according to. Uh, my niece's testimony, and uh, and what Michael Gravely said they found in the trash bags next to the, the garage.
1: All right. Now, let me ask you, the, the, the properties and where he lives and what these things look like is somewhat relevant. Where is your brother living? Where are you living? And what do these properties look like in terms of size, what's on them, where they're located?
0: So my, my brother lived on point. Uh, about 4.8 acres uh, in the city of Mequon. Uh, it was uh, a slightly rural area. Uh, he had one neighbor to the west through a pretty thick uh, tree line slash forest. And then he had one neighbor across the street. Otherwise, he was surrounded by wilderness. And, uh, and it was very peaceful, zen, very quiet place on, uh, on a reasonably uh, busy road. Uh, but it, it was only two lanes wide. Uh, so quiet enough, just down the road from, uh, from a local technical college. Um, I, at the time lived about 10 minutes, 11 minutes north of him, uh, in the city of Cedarburg, uh, which is, uh, uh, just a historic town, uh, on, in, in Southeast Wisconsin, uh, that my family had settled. So, uh, so I lived there and I operated my, uh, construction remodeling business, um, out of, uh, basically his house. So there was a dumpster on the property, a bunch of, uh, construction equipment and, and materials stored, uh, in, in the old, uh, workshop that was, uh, that was on his property and things like that.
1: Okay. I hope that, I hope that this is a big preamble because now we're getting into the investigation, ultimate charges, and then what some consider to be a miscarriage of justice of a trial. Do you know, I mean, we know now because it was evidence at the trial, but how does the investigation into this missing person go? And when is your brother formally charged?
0: So it started when Sadie drove to Kenosha, found the crime scene, and called nine one one. So Zach Sachs goes to the goes to do what she said was a wellness check. She shows up and uh and and sees that the patio door is open, uh, then uh then then goes to check the front door. Uh May sees I stop that- you there?
1: Just for one second, yeah. actually, she does a wellness check on Gutierrez at his at his apartment.
0: At, at his apartment. So she drives from her home, leaving their daughter home, because uh, it was during COVID, and I believe that that uh, school was out and it was a virtual. So she leaves the daughter, goes to do this wellness check, drives all the way to Kenosha. So that's over an hour. She drives one direction just to check on him because he hasn't answered the phone uh, in about 30 hours. Uh, or uh, maybe thirty six hours at that point uh, so so she drives to Kenosha, uh, parks, sees that both of his vehicles are there, sees that the patio door is open, uh, hollers in through the patio door, gets no response, goes through the main entry because it's not secured, walks up to his door, sees what looks like drops on 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 the door frame, goes back around to to open the slider. Uh, she says that she. That she parts the, the the blinds and peeks in she sees blood she panics she calls the police uh, the police respond uh and uh and she tells them that she knows that zachariah anderson is, has something to do with this so that's that's what she tells the police she just unequivocally she knows it was him uh, for whatever reason because at that point she had been uh spinning up a narrative with her best friend Rebecca J- uh, Jekyll, that that Zach was stalking her because she felt like he was uh he was following her around and doing things
1: All right um police then get involved and I guess you only learn after the fact what what, what do they do I mean how, what what does it what does the investigation look like or what evidence of the investigation was presented at trial
0: So uh, what occurs the, then Sadie goes and picks up my niece brings my niece into the police station, so drives all the way back to to her home up in, in like Germantown, Menominee Falls, picks her up and then drives all the way back uh, to to have a, a second witness give some sort of testimony to to verify uh, any piece of her story about my brother being a stalker. Uh, and, uh, and then the police uh, contact the DA, they write a warrant and then go to arrest my brother. So that's the timeline that they have. They have... Uh, they have effectively hearsay they have word of mouth from uh from sadie and they take that and they run with it they execute the search warrant on my brother's home they find that there's a section of carpet missing in the back of his van uh they search and they they pull a bunch of implements they search the house uh they find some cash they find what they presented as the as the marijuana that they had, had had showed in the um uh during the trial um, and then the mushrooms, and otherwise nothing else. They they bring dogs on to search the property. Uh, they have drone footage that they that they they bring around. They they search uh, the the area around my brother's property that that is that is uh, mostly forested and and like fallow grassland, and uh, and they find nothing. They find. Uh, the the dog marked on the fire pit and on I believe an old chainsaw that was in a shed an outbuilding. Otherwise, there's nothing that they that they find, uh, and uh, and they, they take a bunch of things and they uh, as as evidence, um, which end up testing completely empty or completely void of of any DNA evidence except for my brother's minivan, which they took to the state crime lab, uh, where they found one pinhead-sized speck of what they claimed was splash dna on the the rear inside panel on on the passenger side right by the back lift gate uh they found no other evidence of of there being anything on it uh and i'm not even sure that the that the experts swabbed like the the, the handle of the lift gate or any fingerprints on the lift gate for any uh any of uh gutierrez's dna because if he had Dumped the body in the back of the van, he would have then handled the, the the back hatch and done things like that. They claimed that when he set the body down, that a splash of DNA got on that that side panel. Now, there's reddish-brown substance, this, this similar substance, a similar appearing substance. It looks similar to blood on the opposite rear panel, like over the back uh, wheel well. On the floorboard right next to the driver's side sliding door, on the uh, the visor on, on the driver's seat, and I believe on the steering wheel as well, none of those locations tested positive for blood, not a single one. They didn't find any any evidence of DNA. There was just missing carpet. When they luminoled the back of it, there was no evidence of blood. There was no evidence of, of, uh, of a bleach cleanup of blood. Nothing like that ever ever lit up with luminol.
1: We're go- yeah, we're going to have to break down a lot of that here because um, we're going to get to the carpet. We're going to get to that spec, which I'll, I'll, I'll ask in advance just before we forget later on. But I won't forget it tested positive for DNA, not blood of an unspecified male. Correct.
0: Lisa Treffinger I uh, just clipped this earlier today. Lisa Treffinger said that it was a a single source male DNA and she claimed that it tested positive for Rosalio Gutierrez. that Those were her words. Uh, she didn't say, uh, you know, to what degree of certainty. N- none of the other information came out. She just said that it tested positive for Rosalia Gutierrez, and they moved on. Uh, that was uh, an interesting uh, uh, statement. They then tried to quantify that uh, that they could not differentiate between blood or any other type of evidence because the specimen was so small that they could not verify uh, the the source or the type of source uh, that, uh, that, that the DNA evidence was, uh, they, they went on to have other experts, uh, come on and, and also say that it was too small to say definitively scientifically that it was blood. It was very important though, uh, though they tried to draw a logical conclusion. And what they said was that the, the quality of the DNA evidence, uh, was indicative of blood. That was, that was what somebody else said, Uh, But they could not say definitively or scientifically that it was indeed blood. It's a very important distinction because the prosecutor claims that it is blood repeatedly. Uh, They had a third person from the Wisconsin State Crime Lab also say that there was no evidence of blood in my brother's van. Those are very important statements that that have been made by two other uh, crime lab witnesses. So,
1: Help me understand this, uh, Solomon. How small is this speck?
0: So think of the tip of a sharpie. Yeah. Right? If you if you were to look at the at the photograph, there are still frames. If you find the photograph, there's an arrow on on a little post it note, and the line on that is a, is the tip of a sharpie of the arrow. Okay? The size of the spec is smaller than the tip of the sharpie. It is the size of the head of a pin.
1: Uh, okay. And this, I'm not trying to be skeptical for the sake of being skeptical. I'm, I am just asking myself the question: How did they find? How did they find that speck? This was in the back of the car.
0: That's correct. How one do you the, find?
1: Uh, how do you find a, a needle? Uh, the head of a needle in the back of a of a van.
0: One of the the crime lab analysts has a very good eye. She she spotted spotted this speck, and she said she called uh, to their testimony. She called Lisa Treffinger in to also look at it. Uh, and uh and then they tried to uh try to to uh, obtain the specimen and then run run testing on it. Uh, but as they said, the specimen was so small that they could not differentiate what type it was without destroying it. so they had to choose whether to test it for the DNA evidence or to test what type of of evidence it was
1: and the DNA evidence they said an unspecified male but this woman, uh, the name you just said, is who again?
0: Lisa Treffinger,
1: and and she is an expert.
0: expert. She is the spokesperson from the Wisconsin State Crime Lab that okay. was was held as an expert for the uh, for and, the and state.
1: They said it was the DNA of an unspecified male that they believed to be a Gutierrez.
0: Uh
1: yes. And why did they that, why did they believe it to be Gutierrez?
0: She just said that it that it that it tested positive for for Rosalia Gutierrez.
1: Okay, so that at least clarifies one ambiguity. Some people were saying it didn't, there was no mention that it tested positive for Gutierrez's DNA. Uh, they were saying it was just an unspecified male. They couldn't say which. So she says unspecified male, but Gutierrez, why Why then would they say it was an unspecified male if they could specify it's, them?
0: It's the, the verbiage is single source male. So okay. it's from one male source and, and it had tested positive for Gutierrez. To what degree? I have no idea. It was never presented. Okay. I don't know if it was like a, a 15% or a 20% match or if it was it was anything else. They also, to my understanding, uh, didn't like videotape the testing. So we have no idea if it was contaminated. We also have police officers that were on the scene that, that were previously on uh, the crime scene in Kenosha that drove all the way up and processed and looked at the van. so there's possible uh, possibility of cross-contamination. and uh, and we also have the the uh, the possibility that it's that it's epithelial touch DNA that has been spread secondhand from Sadie herself, who was at Rosalie Gutierrez's apartment on the night of the sixteenth and then was dropping <laughs> off the children whom were in the van on the sixteenth and the seventeenth. Uh, during that time period. So we have more than one potential issue with that DNA evidence being there. It could absolutely be a touch DNA that was just coincidentally also on this speck of reddish substance, which matched the other reddish substance in the back of the van. These are all realistic possibilities, real things that can happen with DNA. And I don't think that DNA evidence was really described in how touch DNA can be spread and 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 really the testing of it and I don't think the district attorney did it properly in presenting the DNA evidence he almost pseudo-inserted himself as an expert by asking her different types of DNA evidence like he knew all of the types of DNA evidence it was sort of an odd presentation
1: again I I'm, I'm going to preface this question by saying that when there's a wrongful conviction it's not just that there's a wrongful conviction of an innocent person it necessarily means that the guilty party is still out there and will get away with the crime. And so there is a double aspect there, to the extent there's family. There's even more than a double victim to a wrongful conviction. Yeah. Um, and now I'm thinking just, you know, the, 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 cr- the crime scene was described as very violent, uh, different types of blood, like splatter and uh, splatter drip spray. So very violent, like, you know, something out of, out of Dexter. And I'm not saying that to be glib. It's like different types of, of, of the way blood comes out. Like if you've been hit spit air, breathe, um a violent scene to the extent that a cleanup would be presumably equally messy if not messier but at the very least messy and if one is thinking cynically or or skeptically or critically it would be even weirder that that would be the only spec that one would find in the back of the, the the pickup minivan crime scene it would be weirder that that would be the only spec that you find as opposed to that being part of many and now just thinking also critically conceivable that a speck dries up and is carried over from the investigative of the crime scene to other places, not implausible. And that's not just to try to think of something far-fetched to uh, achieve a foregone conclusion of innocence for Zachariah. But back this up before we even get to the carpet, the speck, and we'll come back to it. The chainsaw. What relevance is the chainsaw in all of this? None. Okay. Is is there a suggestion that the chainsaw was used to dismember a a, a corpse for the purpose of, of concealing?
0: Uh, the only thing that they said was that uh, with a K nine unit had had pointed on on a on a chainsaw that was in my brother's shed, uh, that my brother had gone to the tree farm and this was part of my niece's testimony had uh, had given and or swapped a chainsaw had loaded a chainsaw in the back of the of the van and driven back. This was this was the only relevance that they had was to try and bolster my niece's credibility. Uh, and the fact that uh, that this chainsaw seems suspicious, but they never they never proved there there was no DNA test that came back uh, to have any human DNA at all on the chainsaw. Not I, I, irrelevant to the to the to this case.
1: I say irrelevant or maybe exculpatory in the sense that, you know, if the if the suggestion is that this was used to dismember and dispose of, I, I don't think you can ever clean a chainsaw without. No. having traces detectable any more than you can clean the back of a minivan did, did your brother own firearms
0: no no he he uh he was not allowed to own firearms i see because uh, of
1: the because of the, the felony yeah, i mean I presume as, it was a felony drug charge
0: it the well there was the felony drug charge there was uh there was also a conviction for when he was 18 that prevented him from from owning firearms uh so so he for his whole life had not owned a firearm period i lived with him for a short time like i had said I owned a, a shotgun used for hunting. It was mm-hmm. uh, it's a slug rifle or a slug a slug gun, not a rifle, but a slug gun used for hunting deer. If you're going to do a deer drive or something like that, uh, and uh, and and he saw it in the house, uh, and he was very angry at me because there was no firearm ever allowed on his property whatsoever. He did not want firearms on his property. It was just not something that he was comfortable with, and he was very comfortable with not owning a gun. So so th- that was just a, a non-starter, which is why the this is again getting ahead of ourselves but why the uh the i was threatened by that gun comment was so completely just imaginary it was just not realistic it would not have happened
1: um you you'll remember to come back to that uh so the chainsaw no dna so there's not a question it wasn't used uh it was just uh you know yep. a, a, it was, a, a it was scary, just a a scary tool
0: yeah, a K nine unit had had uh, had barked at it, and then they took it for evidence. Tested it, came back negative. They also it also barked at the fire pit, uh, where they found that he had burned his own clothes. But there was more than one pair of jeans, as there were two buttons that they had discovered, uh, and then some socks and some some underwear that they found. But my brother was cleaning out his house and well, hold on, he was actually, for custody of his children, so I'm and, not and shocked you, but, that he burned stuff.
1: Well, but before before you get there, even the, the burn pit. This is a four, now we know it's a 4.1 acre property. So there are 4.8. A, 4.8. So you, you make outdoor fire pits. Um, was it a fresh fire pit burn? Was it an existing fire pit that had newly burned clothes? I mean, is, is the idea or even the admission from your brother's perspective that, yeah, I burnt the clothes contemporaneously with these events and I did it for a totally uh, innocuous reason?
0: Yeah, he burned. he burned all kinds of things for an innocuous reason. There was... Um, the, the, the fire pit was an existing fire pit to start to answer your question. The fire pit had been his fire pit for many, many, many years. It's where we burn, uh, where he had fa- felt, you know, uh, he had dropped a couple of trees. We were burning logs. We were burning just wood that we had pulled out of, out of, uh, out of demolitions. So like old two by fours that were rotten and all kinds of stuff, we'd throw it in the fire, we'd burn it. It was a convenient way to get rid of a bunch of stuff that would otherwise just fill the the dumpster unnecessarily. So the other thing was that my my grandmother uh, had uh, had just pa- passed away, and all of the belongings that were in her home were emptied out and were taken to my brother's house, and he was going through and disposing of things that had no significant value, and a lot of those things ended up getting burned. So there were personal effects and things like that that were that were burned, as opposed to filling the dumpster, which was full of construction debris.
1: And so that's now I'll. I'm going to steal, man, just so no one thinks that I'm. I'm just here to, you know, listen to a a brother who's emotionally invested try to defend his his brother. Um, You know, someone's going to say, "Okay, well, there's always a good answer for why he was burning stuff, or there was always a good answer to why he was buying stuff at a store." The you know the day the day of or the day after, I should say, burning the clothes. The question is, as a matter of fact, did they find anything in the burn pit that could uh, definitively or was suspected to have predated the incident?
0: They did not find anything in, in the burn pit that was, uh, that was definitively connected to the incident. Okay. They, they, but would,
1: they, would they find older stuff? Like there had been stuff that was, you know, in uh, that there burn was pit. like
0: springs and all kinds of stuff. There was all kinds of old metal that they pulled out of there. There was, there's, you know, cause there, I think there's chairs and mattresses and stuff yeah. like that. Like a, like an old country burn pit that you take the stuff out that you don't want that a light on fire and you burn it. And, and- uh, and that's that's not a shock. I personally had watched it happen many times over,
1: and but it, raked out your, the pit. Is your is your brother's testimony though, as far as this is concerned, that yeah, I burnt some clothes the day after the the
0: incident. But to be clear, my brother didn't testify to the, anything. Oh, so um, that, that was a,
1: not the way I wanted to say that. The <laughs> was the evidence to suggest that the burn was contemporaneous, like this was a a, a, a fresh burn.
0: That's what they claimed. They okay. claimed that that he had intentionally burned this and that it was freshly done. Uh, but my brother had had a, a, a good-sized fire on the Friday before. They claimed that it had rained very hard for days. Uh, I actually went back and looked at the weather report, and there was less than an inch of rain over all of those days. It was overcast. It was misty. But it didn't rain as hard as they claimed it did in Mequon. So the fact that they claimed that there was this smoldering pit – well, you can burn on an overcast or misty day. That's not a big deal. And there was, uh, there was you know, debris and wood and all kinds of stuff to get rid of. So am I shocked that he had burned? No. Was it on fire when they got there? Well, no. They said that it was smoldering. And to my understanding was that there were hot coals that they found inside the fire pit. Not that this was a raging fire when they showed up. It was that there was some smoldering ashes inside the fire pit. And if you've ever had a country fire and you've burned big logs, it gets a skin of ash over the Mm -hmm. top. But the core of it is still warm unless you get a torrential downpour. So the fact that they had to call the fire department out to hose down the fire pit didn't shock me because he has good sized fires when he has a fire.
1: Uh, What? So their evidence as to the clothing having been burnt freshly in the pit was two buttons from what they determined were jeans,
0: two buttons from what they determined were, were Levi's. Uh, there was uh, an elastic band from some underpants uh, and a partially burned sock. And I don't understand why, if they, if they, if the state presumes that he's destroying evidence, why would he not have soaked it in, in all of it in an accelerant and made sure that it all burned properly? That doesn't make sense.
1: Did you say there was a remnant of a sock?
0: Yeah, remnants of a sock.
1: So there was still some unburnt portion of the cloth yep. sock left. Was there yep. blood on that unburnt portion?
0: Nothing. So they didn't have any DNA evidence that, that, that connected my brother to Gutierrez. Uh, they even pumped his septic tank. They, they actually oh, on, secured on, that.
1: Before you, before you get into that, sorry, because this is, this is <laughs> fa- fascinating, but let me finish on this. So they determined there were clothes burnt. There was still yep. cloth left over from what they determined or or know was a sock, yep. but no blood on the sock that was partially burnt because presumably he's concealing evidence. No blood on that. And no. part two to that, the only DNA evidence connecting Gutierrez to your brother was that pinhead speck in the back of his truck, we're going to get to the carpet in a bit.
0: That's correct. It's a mini yes. uh,
1: That's, I thought I was just cracking the case, because if there's a sock that he's burning, presumably it's because it's evidence, and presumably it's going to have blood on it, and if he didn't burn the entire sock, well, presumably they should be able to find some blood on the sock that he's burning because it's evidence, but no.
0: Nope, they just, okay. they found a sock, and they were like, aha! And then they, they shipped it to the crime lab, and it came back completely negative. No DNA evidence.
1: Okay, um, chainsaw irrelevant. Growing marijuana allegedly—that's does not make one uh, a murderer. And now, okay, do we do the? Do we let's do the septic before we do anything else? Because it, I, I saw this in the interview with um, recovering addict or recovery addict, recovering. and um, th- I thought this was interesting. Most people might not know this. You know, if he's washing his hands off, if he's taking a shower, there's good. If he successfully cleaned the entire back of that truck, but one my little speck got through. Uh, well, you got to wash off. So if you go do, if you wash off of the shower, the sink, whatever stuff can get stuck in the drain, the little U bends where things don't always go down. What do they do to, what do they do to search the property?
0: Uh, well, they, they actually take the traps from the underneath the sink in the tub and they, 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 they keep the contents. So they keep the traps uh, from the sink in the tub and they pump the septic tank. So if he were to shower and he had blood on him, then some would be left inside the trap that U bend that you talked about, mm-hmm. uh, in the sink or the tub, and or in the septic tank itself, the whole this, tank.
1: Because this is a country property where he's got you got a septic tank and it's not connected. Uh, I don't know. It's That's... not
0: connected to city water. That's okay. correct. So so there's a septic holding tank out in the yard. Uh, they bring a truck. They they actually they they pump the whole tank. They take this evidence. They test it looking for Gutierrez's DNA, and it came back completely negative. So there's no other evidence, none. They, they, they searched uh, our family Christmas tree farm three times. They found no evidence. They claimed that they found a shred of, of this mystery flannel that, that my, my niece claimed that he was wearing on that Sunday. There's no evidence of that flannel being burned. They said that they had found in, in some of the press uh, a shard of this flannel in, in one of the fire pits. Uh, I believe at the tree farm, it was not ever presented, not even once. It was not brought up during the trial. It was not cited. They claimed uh, in news articles that they found pieces of Gutierrez's clothing in my brother's fire pit. This is the mainstream media releasing this stuff. There was no evidence ever presented of Gutierrez's clothes in my brother's fire pit. It never happened. They also claimed that the spec was definitively blood in the back of my brother's van, that there was blood in the back of the van. There was no evidence ever verified, none that there was blood in the back of the van. They never presented this stuff. And then, and then the, um, uh, the DA, Gravely's office, has a, has a PR person that then spreads lies and misinformation to the mainstream media that it then it gets disseminated through the, the local population and potentially taints jurors into believing that this man is guilty before he sees trial, years before he sees trial. It's a problem.
1: Well, no, it, it's it's a problem because I consider myself to be cynical and reasonably intelligent. And I had heard this stuff. And it's not that I I took it for granted. It's that you know this I I was not following this case the way we filed followed Rittenhouse, So it was not the one that I was dissecting with sure. you know judicial scrutiny. But I heard it, and I know the way my initial reactions and reflexes go. I thought first of all I had no uh, even after looking into this that the speck of DNA was uh, the size of a pinhead in the back of a truck that allegedly was the getaway cleanup truck for a, a, a very large individual. We're going to get to the size because it's relevant for other stuff, but a massively messy, violent, brutal murder that leaves mm-hmm. in the back of a truck, a, a speck the size of a pinhead, and that's it. Um, okay, so they 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 pump the septic tank. They find no blood, no DNA, um, nothing else on the property, burnt sock in the fire, no, no blood on it, let alone... Uh, incriminating DNA um the the the, the van let's get this is the one where I you know I get suspicious what there better be a damn good explanation for why between the event uh the carpet in the back of the van is pulled up and the seat is removed explain what happened with the truck what kind of truck it was and whether or not what was alleged to have happened in fact is admitted or confirmed to have occurred contemporaneously with the uh, with with the incident
0: well it was a minivan uh so the, the, it had two rows of seats in the back. My brother would take them out all the time. Uh, he would take them out so he could load construction materials or whatever whatever he wanted at the back of the van. The seat the seats just disconnect. He'd, he'd take them out. He'd set them right in the driveway so he could put them back in when he finished hauling whatever he was hauling. Uh, and if he needed to cover them, they would go in the shop uh, or in the garage and not a big deal. But he'd just he'd pop the little levers. You take the seats out. You set them aside. So there's a bench seat in the way back. That thing popped right out. No problem. Uh, he had the kids on on the on that weekend. The bench seat was installed. The bench seat was there. Uh, my niece testified that that the the carpet was in the back of the van, but he had set the chainsaw in the back of the van. To my understanding, the chainsaw had leaked fuel in the so, back of the van.
1: If I may stop you there, your niece testified that the, the chainsaw was in the back of the van.
0: That's right. Okay.
1: And so, I'm going to ask, it's obviously a gas-powered chainsaw, not one of those... Crap, it's the mixed gas. Yeah,
0: okay. it's a, it's a mixed gas. Yeah, so uh, like a two cycle uh, engine. So, okay. uh, so as I, as I understand, there was uh, there was some fuel spilled in the back of the van, and as opposed to driving around with the smell of fuel in in his van, he just removed the carpet. It was already all stained up and and messed up from uh, from doing the demo that he had uh, that he had done as uh, as work for uh, uh, Susan Brown Williamson up in Belgium, uh, where he had. They had talked about this, where he was demoing the kitchen, the bathroom, and helping her with uh, with some of the the, the house remodel. Uh, so he had he had that Friday to to my witness. Uh, I watched him pull in the driveway with the trailer that they had shown in pictures. That was Susan Brown Williamson's, loaded with with debris uh, attached to the back uh, of, of the van, and the van was pa- packed to the ceiling with other construction dem- demo debris that he had then hauled out and thrown in the dumpster. So this stuff was very clear that that he had used it for this purpose. The back of the van was filthy, full of 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 dirt and debris. Uh the state alleged that he had cleaned this van, but then they actually show pictures of the van and it's full of dust, full of debris, full of filth and and it's evident that the, the van was never scrubbed ever it was not cleaned.
1: Look, I got asked a stupid question. I'm I feel terrible for not knowing it. I was going to ask you in private chat, but I'm gonna, I'll just display my own ignorance. Did you didn't testify? I did not. So when you say um, you know, just to ask the obvious question as far as you understand, uh, was there any evidence adduced in defense or perhaps inadvertently in prosecution that the chainsaw leaked gasoline onto the carpet or or is that something totally extraneous to the trial?
0: Totally extraneous to the trial. Okay.
1: Because it's, 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 it's an interesting explanation. Some people might say, you know, if they want to be cynical, it's a, 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 an emotionally invested brother trying to protect his brother. Here's an explanation that I think is plausible, but nothing was uh, adduced by way of evidence other than the fact that the chainsaw was in fact in the trunk of the car, as per his daughter your niece's testimony.
0: That's correct. Yeah, that uh, was the only thing that was that was adduced during the time. Was and,
1: there the trial. A, what was was there any explanation in defense? Submitted as evidence to the trial, withheld or not, or retained or not by the jury um, as to why the carpet was removed.
0: No, I don't believe they they discussed. They just said that it was sure it was missing. OK, like, and that was he the, was a contractor. And uh, and there was uh, Susan Brown Williamson that testified that the that the carpeting was already removed to uh, to 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 her uh, eyewitness testimony on, I believe, the same Friday that I saw him pulling the drive which was before the incident that's correct that was friday the 15th of may of 2020
1: susan braun williamson is a contractor who testified or not sorry not a contractor rather she's a client who testified that's correct so she may have or did in fact recollect that the carpet might have actually been removed prior to the incident and not after as uh his daughter testified that's correct all right um and I'll just, re- I'll remind everybody who might be tuning in an hour late. Nobody, no weapon. As of now, nobody, no weapon. Um, and the, we're, the, we're hearing the the evidence or the lack thereof. I guess it's it's the time now to go into his daughter's testimony because that was, I think, by the account of the media, the most damning testimony out there. He even had his own daughter testify against him. This is how evil this stalking, jealous, obsessed ex-boyfriend was. I'm-
0: I want to point out how outraged we were as a family that they accused my brother of, of, of her testifying. He actually motioned, he had his lawyers motion the court to, to ask that she didn't testify because of how damaging it would be to her. And, and the fact that people say that it was his fault that she testified is so disingenuous. He didn't ask for her testimony. Sadie put her in this position. And then the court demanded her testimony. So as opposed to letting her do something on video, which I know that the state of Wisconsin has, has room in their legislature for a minor testimony in something as sensitive as this, as opposed to protecting her psyche, what they did was put her on the stand and put her through this, this, this awful scenario, making her testify to her, uh, against her father
1: especially and you'll correct me if i'm wrong I, I i think there was nothing um there was nothing exceedingly relevant about her testimony save no. and except for that one story where she said you know dad drove me over to mom's house and asked me to put a phone in a in a vent to spy on them and i looked through the window and i saw them lying together on on the couch
0: there was it was not exactly that it was that she stayed in the car Watched him walk up and put the phone in the vent, and then uh, and then he he looked in the window and that she watched him do this, and then he came back and got her, and then he walked her up to the window and said, "Okay, go ahead and look, but cover your nose and mouth with your shirt," uh, to which she did, and then she looked in the window and saw them, and then they left. But when they pulled out of the driveway, they turned to drive back past the front of the house. They stopped because Gutierrez's truck was in the driveway. And then my niece claimed that he went through Gutierrez's glove box, looked at the registration, took the registration and took this a Dear John letter, uh, took a picture of it, took this dear dear John letter or whatever it was, and then and then came back to the car. Oddly enough, uh, they presented later in, in in the in the court case that that he had looked up a way to to search a Colorado license plate, a free license plate search. Mm-hmm. So again, that doesn't make sense. For someone that looked at the title, why would you need to search the license plate to find out who owns the the, the piece of property if you have of evidence of of the the registration and title in hand? Or I think it was just the registration, not the title, but um, uh, a, a letter uh, written um, from the owner about how Rosalia was was uh, was granted permission to drive the vehicle, and then the registration of the vehicle.
1: Now, I'm reluctant to ask this question because I don't want anyone perceiving it as like looking to victim blame. Uh, And and there's no but to that. I'm going to ask it anyhow. Did Zachariah or do you know of whether or not anybody involved in this knew of who Gutierrez was? Like if we're thinking you could you could frame it as an obsessive, jealous ex-boyfriend or you could frame it as a concerned father who might know something and just wants to do a background check on someone who might be in proximity of his girlfriend and children. Is it did Zachariah, to your knowledge, know anything of Gutierrez's past, present, and uh, history?
0: Uh, Zach, Zach actually said to me on one occasion uh, that he said uh, he said that he was that he wished he had he had been a better boyfriend to Sadie, and that it was too bad, and that the relationship was too far gone. And then he he said that uh, that he didn't like that that this guy had had a, a, a history. Uh, and he mentioned some sort of drug affiliation, uh, to me, those were his words to me, uh, but really just referenced that he wasn't like this, this, uh, this clean guy that she was bringing into their kids life. And he just, he was really disappointed that she didn't do better for their kids. Those were, th- that's all he ever said to me. And that was never brought into the court, but, well, that's but bad. that was it. It was not obsessive. He didn't have like a feverish look in his eye. He was just like, ah, it's too bad. And this guy, you know, he's just not 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 like this upstanding citizen he he has you know a history and and i just i don't really like like him being around the kids but i i just wish that she had better judgment
1: well you know, and that, again that's
0: what he conveyed to me
1: and again not not a question of victim blaming it's on the one hand a question of saying is there a, is there a non-incriminating explanation for why uh an ex-boyfriend might you know look, even if he did go take a picture of registration to do a background check unbeknownst to yeah. people that he cares about and flip side if you're looking for alternative explanations and and places to investigate that I'm not sure the the Kenosha did, might there be other players who might more plausibly be potentially related to this than uh, your brother. Okay. What am I for? So now um, say his, your niece, his daughter testifies. Yeah. Okay. The the image heard around the world, him holding his lips to tell her to be quiet. And the media ran with this as witness intimidation. And I read the comments, to the YouTube videos where people are watching mainstream media report on this. They don't know what the testimony was at the time. And I'm finding out now because there was none. Uh, and yet they're saying in the, in the comment section, "He Oh, sick bastard, total witness intimidation. He's evil. Yada, yada. I saw your explanation as to what he was doing. It makes sense, but explain it to the world because I part of it was like, I just want to know what the testimony was at that time to see whether or not it was incriminating for the dad to be telling his daughter to zip her lips. Your explanation makes a lot of sense. Is there anyone out there to contradict your explanation and give it to us?
0: I, I mean, I don't think there is a contradiction. They they wanted to try and spin it that, that it was, that it was intimidation and absolutely intimidation, but, but it was just a, a father trying to father his daughter. Uh, you know, at the same time, it, during the same court proceedings, Uh, you know, my niece had a massive emotional outburst and from the gallery, uh, you had Sadie's family members mouthing and signing to calm down, calm down. And, and in this, you know, it, it's, it's, it's half a dozen of, of one, six of the other. Both of them were, were, were attempting to try and, and get this young girl, this, this girl to try and recenter herself and to, to act appropriately for the situation even though it was such a high stress and high stakes situation for her and for the family. I I don't, I don't blame her for, for having a moment where for the first time in nearly three years, she saw her father and wanted to ask him questions, wanted to reach out to him, wanted to communicate with him. Of course she did. That's not evil by any means. There was no intimidation there. People don't understand that there was a no contact for for almost three years it was the first time she had seen him this is this is a a a young girl that that does love and miss her dad regardless of the situation if you listen to her impact statement she even says it's time for you to work on you you know and and come talk to me when you're done that's not that's not like her telling him that he's a monster that 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 was her saying that like that my love is still here for for you, and and I just need you to earn it. Those are very different uh, to what the state wanted to sell the public as to as to what the nature of the relationship was, and it's unfortunate that that the the media took that and ran with it, and misrepresented it. It's did he do the right thing? no, doing this was not the right thing to do in the moment. And I admonished him about it afterwards. I, I said, what are you doing? That was so stupid. You knew all the cameras were on you. He's like, I just, she's my daughter, Saul. I said, I, I, I understand. I get it. But the one moment that you that you needed to just, sit stoic and keep it together you know oh, and regardless of what she was doing
1: no it, it it really is enraging because it's not a question of taking sides just give me the truth and i'll and i'll come to my own conclusion and you see the screen grab the still and everyone's like oh look at his evil in his eyes and i mean like i i think people project into the eyes what they have already come to by way of conclusion and i didn't get there i just uh, show me the facts and now that i know just so everybody appreciates it. Wasn't him telling her to shut up while she was testifying. She was mouthing to him while on the set. It's like, I I don't know what she was saying, but trying to communicate with him. And he's like, stop. And I look at that and I don't see evil in the eyes regardless. I, 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 but maybe I'm just projecting my own stuff onto it. I
0: mean, if you, if you look into his eyes, he has nothing but love and adoration for almost her entire testimony. She's sitting on the stand and his eyes are, are a light and a glow. And he's just happy to see his daughter for the first time in almost three years. I mean, it's 33 months at that point. And then, and then there's a point, a moment where, where gravely is, is hammering on, on, you know, on calling him the defendant. Oh, I'm calling him the defendant. And she calls him the defendant to, to appease gravely. And you could see they showed him and he, and he goes from loving and proud to injured. He's hurt. It's his daughter calling him the defendant not dad that's awful
1: um and, and speaking of the absolute utility or lack of of the testimony the bulk of her testimony was that evening uh allegedly placing the camera the 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 the, the, the chainsaw the mar- that he grew 72 plants of marijuana but she couldn't identify bud when she saw it um, it, it was, I, I watched that. I mean, I tried to catch up on it. I was like, I don't, I don't understand the utility of this except for running with the narrative that we got his daughter to testify against him. That's how evil he was, even though she said nothing of use to the actual, I'll say not alleged murder, but the, the murder until he, until if he's found, but the, the event, um, okay, let me think of, uh, they
0: tried uh, to use her to prove stalking. That was, that was the only utility to it. Yeah. The only utility. Uh,
1: um, someone had asked and maybe I forgot to ask the question. You said, it, as relates to the back of the truck, no smell of bleach, no residue of bleach because bleach leaves a residue
0: that will, uh, bleach when you, when you're wiping up DNA evidence, it breaks down, it breaks down like the DNA itself, yeah. right? It, it denatures DNA. So it denatures, which makes it t- not test, uh, well, when you try and run it through the the PCR testing. However, uh it still leaves dna you can you can easily google pictures of of what what appears to be like a a, a crime scene cleanup and when it's luminol you see streaking as as the wipes go through it may have denatured the dna so you could not test it to to test for a positive dna match but we, it will still light up with luminol testing so so the fact that they they you know tried to present that that it you know that it was absolutely cleaned up and there was no no trace evidence of it at all is is unrealistic uh and and misleading.
1: Well I'd say unrealistic, especially given what he is alleged to have used to clean it up, which were, unless I'm mistaken, Clorox bleach wipes that he was seen purchasing the day after at a was yeah. it a
0: Walmart? Walmart. Yeah.
1: So let's let's hear this. This is the morning after. Uh, allegedly, right? That he's he's shopping for an hour at a Walmart gets. What did he get? He got bags, Clorox bleach wipes,
0: yeah, uh, uh, sardines. Oh, that was another another issue with the mainstream media. The sardines, Q-tips, uh, uh, uh and some other benign things.
1: S- sardines for
0: what? Oh, and to rubber eat? gloves. yeah, a snack. He eats yeah. sardines. Um, uh, you don't have to agree with eating <laughs> sardines, but he, but he enjoys it. <laughs> well,
1: it depends how they're. It depends how they're how they're preserved, but. Um, so people are thinking, Oh, he bought rubber gloves in Clorox bleach. Um, the, some people have have hypothesized the innocuous interpretation. this is during the height of covid I yep. know uh, I don't know what evidence was presented to counter that um what- ca- what type of rubber gloves
0: They were just regular rubber gloves. It wasn't like it wasn't like heavy duty. it was just rubber gloves.
1: Did they ever find them?
0: Uh, they, they didn't present them not a single time, so, so just- I don't know where the rubber gloves are
1: evidence that a uh, construction worker during COVID uh, bought rubber gloves, sardines, Clorox, bleach. The, the wipes that come in a container, you pull one out yep. at a time.
0: Yeah. That, and there, was, there were two, two types of them. There's one with like the purple top and the other one. And one of the Clorox uh, wipes was in between the driver's seat and the passenger seat from the crime scene photos. So th- they weren't even all used up. There was a, there was one container still sitting in between the, uh, the two front chairs, the captain's chairs. Uh, you know, he had driven after after stopping at the Walmart up to uh, up to Belgium to this uh, this job site where he spent about half the day. Uh, you know, and and if you're unfamiliar with construction, you use uh, use bleach very specifically to kill mold spore, uh, but uh, but you use trash bags to bag up things like loose insulation and this house was at an era where vermiculite insulation was used regularly and other things like that. My brother was very particular about fiberglass insulation and wanted it bagged up uh before it went in the in the dumpster. He had uh worked construction when he was younger, had done a bunch of demolition, had, had or a, a bunch of insulating, had gotten fiberglass in his eyes and had gotten an infection in his eye from it. So he was very particular. I told you he was a particular person. Uh, he was very particular about how fiberglass was supposed to be handled and bagged. He didn't want it blowing around his property at all, and wanted to make sure that it was secured and not free floating because he didn't like breathing or having it in his eyes at all.
1: That's the so, uh, the pink cotton candy type stuff.
0: Yeah, that stuff. Yeah, and there's vermiculite, which is uh, which is like a a, a harder ground uh, like I, pebble.
1: I um. I have, uh, if I have a what's the word, a pet peeve. It's it's my, my pet peeve is broken glass. Like when someone breaks a glass, it's yeah. I, I you got to do multiple multiple levels of not make sure you don't step on a damn shard that goes into your heel and ruins the rest of your week. Yep. So that that's that's the damning um, circumstantial evidence. He bought this yeah. stuff the day after the event.
0: Yeah, but if you watch, it's thirty two minutes of footage that they presented during the trial. Uh, they claimed originally that he parked so far away. He parks really far away from anyone, like it was it was clear, clearly avoidant behavior. But then you watch him on the, on the camera, and he parks right next to, adjacent to another vehicle, if not on, another one in front of him. So he parks right next to other vehicles, and then he casually walks into the Walmart. He casually strolls around and buys the things that he needs, purchases them at the self-checkout, pays cash, again, very casually, and then walks out. I think he he like waves uh, waves thank you to the greeter or whatever when they take the cart from him. Uh, he puts his hood up because it's it's raining that day. Uh, you know it was drizzling or misting or whatever, and and then he leaves. Uh, it wasn't uh, it wasn't damning at all.
1: Well, do, do we know uh, when the body is alleged to have been removed? Like by the time Sadie gets there, uh, thirty six hours later. This would have been in the interim that your brother would have gotten the bags. I mean, is he is the theory that he already had the body in the back of the car or that he went back to get it?
0: That's what the state alleged. Yeah. The state alleged that that uh that in 10 minutes, uh give or take 10, 15 minutes, because uh, uh, to, to Gravely's closing argument, he said at around 10 p.m., my my brother viciously attacked Gutierrez. OK, so at around 10 p.m., he blitzes him at the door he bashes his head in. Uh, he finishes him with a knife. Then he, he pulls the body over and he puts him on the carpet and then rolls it all up. But, but all of that doesn't give enough time, one, for the blood to pool on the, on the couch and on, on the carpeting on the floor. It, it doesn't give a, a realistic amount of time to wrap him up like it's a cigarette, right? Like try and, and totally wrap the body up into a tube and, and shoulder him. Lift a, a, about 300 pounds onto your shoulder, walk it out to your minivan, set the body down in the minivan and only get this one splash. Uh, and And what they presumed was a little bit of mess on the carpeting. And then... And then go in and, and get the the phone and put it in the freezer and then drive back to Mequon, which if you took the freeway on time, I believe that it was an hour and seven or an hour and nine minutes. That gave him somewhere between minutes and seconds to make it back to his home in Mequon between ten ten and and the and the eleven nineteen p.m. when he texted his girlfriend and called her apologizing for for sleeping too long. Uh, so so. It's it's not physically possible to do this. It's very important that we recognize that that it was not it it was not possible.
1: Someone in the chat said, "Get to the prison snitch." Don't worry, we're getting to the prison snitch. Um, but before then, so th- the the theory of the case is that your brother. How how tall? How much does your brother weigh?
0: My brother is six one, and at the time he was about two twenty, maybe.
1: All right, and Gutierrez is two seventy to three hundred, from what I understood. he was.
0: Yeah, I mean, they tried to to say that he was as low as as like 240 to I think I think Eileen said something around uh, around 220 using their imaginations. Uh, it, so Celia Patterson had po- had posted an article in the newspaper. Who's,
1: who's, who's Celia Patterson?
0: That's Rosalia Gutierrez's mother. Okay. Uh, she posted a, an article right after he had disappeared that said that he weighed 280 pounds and that it was not possible for anyone any less than two people to have uh, have committed this act. That was her words on on the uh, the article that she put out uh, looking for for whomever might have done this.
1: Was that so, did that make its way into evidence in defense?
0: Uh, I. I hope so. I don't remember. Uh, I, I I don't remember if that article specifically was. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I'd have to look back at the trial. Uh, but but very specifically, that news article was 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 released. Uh, there were a bunch of people that testified that he weighed two hundred seventy pounds. Now imagine it's two hundred seventy pounds, but he wrapped him up. So you have all of the wrapping materials. You have the carpet that they, that they claim that he wrapped him in that is presumably blood-soaked and everything else that, that was used to wrap up this man. So you have a 270-pound man plus weight of carpet plus everything else all stacked up together. So you have up to 300 pounds, give or take, that he would have had to just throw on his shoulder and walk out like a sack of potatoes out to, to the minivan and set it down because there's no drag no, marks.
1: No, bl- no blood on the stairs going down.
0: No, no well there, he lived on the first floor so there's no stairs but but there's no like on the patio door on the on the entryway not in the hallway no dripping no dragging nothing anywhere it's not to be found
1: uh i'm going to just take a note uh i also snitch and houdini is so i want to get to houdini because that's no, that was part of
0: the, tr- the, yeah. the prison snitch yeah um
1: the carpet did they know that the carpet uh was
0: used well the carpet was missing
1: okay they never so found they,
0: the carpet they never found the carpet. Carpet and, and wasn't in your
1: it wasn't in your brother's burn pit.
0: It was not in the and, and not only did they not find it in the burn pit, they didn't find it in the tree farm burn pit. They also never found any fibers of the carpet in my brother's van. Another important thing to note that when they when they did their forensic analysis of the van. They knew what the carpet looked like. They found no evidence of the of the carpet ever have being uh, put placed in my brother's van.
1: Now, I'm I'm not asking this to to show off any st- stupid intelligence. What kind of carpet was it?
0: It was like a five by seven area rug that was that was in front or underneath the front of the couch and underneath the two small. Uh, coffee tables, uh, things that were used as coffee tables uh, that were pictured in on the crime scene.
1: Now, this might be a very detailed question to which you might not know the answer. Defense, did they find carpet residue, carpet particles in um, Gutierrez's apartment?
0: I believe that they found hair follicles and, and what they 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 said were fibers. I might be remembering that incorrectly. I'm sure the chat could be correcting me right now. But but they had claimed that they had found some fibers and things like that. And moreover, in the pictures of the crime scene, there was the area that was a little bit cleaner. Uh, with on the edge of it, there was what appeared to be a little bloodstains pool that that had a definitive corner edge to it.
1: it it's. I'm just thinking critically inconceivable anybody who's ever dealt with carpets that the dust particles from a carpet would not be tracked anywhere especially if you're wrapping it up and bending it what kind of minivan do you know
0: i uh, it was like an maybe a Chrys- chrysler or a, a dodge something like that and
1: wrapped up in a carpet which is like you mentioned is not going to bend so it's it's not it's you're not even it's not foldable even if it right. didn't have a human body in it Okay, this is it gets more outrageous. Uh, but the, the the issue is that it's not clear what was brought up in uh, for me. Like what was what you have by way of rational insights that are not necessarily presented or were not presented in defense, and you have just an onslaught of circumstantial innuendo type evidence being presented. Yeah. Um. So the carpets okay I,
0: um... so the carpet gets loaded in the back of the van they say that he that he closes the back hatch or whatever he goes in he stashes the phone and he takes off or stashed the phone loaded the carpet closed it and then took off uh, so either way it, it it created a time window of, of about 10 15 minutes to be able to wrap this up entirely and there's only about a three foot by three and a half or four foot the width of the the back of the van section of carpet missing it's not all of the carpeting it's just the rear section from the brackets of the rear seats of the van to the rear bumper to the where the, the lift gate latches. So that area of the van has carpet missing, not the entire thing, but just that area. That, that doesn't imply that you slid you know, a 300-pound man into the back of your van. They kind of infer that he folded him up into a tight little bundle and stuck him in the back three feet of the van. That also doesn't make sense because he's such a large man. And in order to contain all of that that bloody mess from bludgeoning Amanda to death, you would have had to have done a different tier, a different level of of protection to try and stop yeah. that from. Or,
1: or or you, I mean, and again, it's this is not to be disrespect. There's a victim in this as well, but like, or a chainsaw to to dismember, but that we but know that, that that's, never, that's not a, that's not a possibility. Yeah.
0: Uh, it Chad, would have had to happen at the apartment. Yeah. and there was never any testimony to that uh, any any sound of a chainsaw running so that was a mood point
1: Ch- Chad is asking me to make sure that we mentioned the diffuser I, now I, I remember that the diffuser was still diffusing 40 hours later what what's what was Defuser the gate
0: yeah so uh, so so that if there's when you walk in to 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 the apartment to Rosalia's apartment the door swings to the left okay door swings to the left right in front of you sort of front to, and to the left there's a small long table short table that's right there it had blood splatter on it and things like that on that table there's a diffuser pot a wooden looking diffuser pot that's sitting on the table
1: what is a diffuser pot
0: so it, it, it's uh it's like something where you put uh uh like a, an essence of or or some sort of aromatherapy you fill it with water and then and then it steams the water and carries that 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 aroma throughout your 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 dwelling uh, so it's supposed to be for peace, aromatherapy, relaxation, things like that. Uh, some people might use it similar to incense. Um, so this this pot then is sitting on this little table, uh, and it's running when they do the crime scene photographs. And those crime scene photographs were taken somewhere between noon and 1 p.m. on May the 19th. They presented that the murder occurred at about 10 p.m. Uh, on May the 17th. In that time frame, uh, it's likely that that uh Mr. Gutierrez expecting uh, uh Narita Masias uh coming over at any time around 9 9 p.m. that he had loaded the diffuser and it was running on high. So that's that's what the the the, the evidence shows that both lights both indicator lights are lit and this diffuser is running on high, not on low, uh but but diffusing it as much as it can uh as quickly as possible. Uh, and uh, and then they it's still running with a, a, a solid stream of, of steam coming out of it uh, by midday on May the 19th. So that's 39 to about 40 hours later, give or take on on this time window, which is not possible to all of our testing and retesting for a diffuser to run on high for that long, even if you overfill it. So so this is an issue. That means that someone would have had to have been in the apartment on May the 18th. Which is verified by other witness testimony, uh, where a neighbor had heard bickering in the apartment on May the eighteenth. Another person uh, had had called in an anonymous tip, seeing a woman at four sixteen p.m. I was corrected on my last stream. Four sixteen p.m. Uh, standing on Rosario's, uh patio, whom asked the time of someone that walked past. So, so there's a, an odd correlation of events where we have then a, a testimony of there being people in Gutierrez's home on May the 18th, which is a day after allegedly he was murdered. Mm-hmm. It is, it is at least 12 hours later, if not 16 hours later than when, uh, when the phone was placed in the freezer. So the, the evidence as it's presented does not present well. Furthermore, the phone, speaking of the phone, uh, Tested with two alleles, so two DNA alleles, that were a 0% match to Zach, meaning that someone else handled the phone and put it in the freezer that was not my brother, absolutely, and was not Rosalia Gutierrez, and was not Celia Patterson. Likely, the person that handled the phone is the criminal that they need to investigate, the person that needs to be in prison for this crime.
1: Um. And so I'm just thinking, like they, hypothetically, someone someone's there. Why are they there, and why are they putting up a diffuser? Maybe I don't know. Um, it does it makes the place smell better? Uh, if
0: that's correct, yeah.
1: Um, okay, fascinating in a in a horrible way. Um,
0: right. What do you do? Uh, not everybody soils themselves when they when they uh, when they pass away, but maybe maybe Gutiérrez did. Well, I mean, maybe but even was, if just maybe the smell of blood. blood doesn't, I mean, yeah, maybe the smell um, of blood, uh, it could have been anything. And, and it's, a, I mean, I, again, I, the way I'm, I'm describing this, uh, is a little flippant. Uh, and I just wanted to to say this, I'm not trying to disparage the crime that occurred or the, the, the sorrow that, you know, Celia Patterson or Rosalio's family, friends or children, Are experiencing it's very important to recognize that this is a human life and this man had people that loved him so by all means please don't take it that way it is an absolute tragedy for him to to disappear from the people that loves him or that love him uh and and loved him um and uh, and I, I it's just uh, just so we're clear that, that, well, that so, people so, out there
1: I don't think good faith people who are thinking sincerely would would even have that suspicion. So don't don't worry about that. Uh, although, I mean, it's good that you worry about it. But, but anyone who's going to believe that is not going to be convincible in any event. Um, sure. Have I so the the, the the DNA evidence on the cell on the on the on the bag of the cell phone that's put in the freezer does not match your brother.
0: Uh, it's not on a bag. It's just on the cell phone awesome. So, so, uh, so Gutierrez had a money clip that was laying on, on the couch. Uh, they they had pictures of of of, uh, of his wallet or or his fold uh, that was on the couch. Uh, there was no cash in it, uh, and they found the the cell phone uh, and and I believe his ID and 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 maybe a credit card or two in in the freezer. Uh, days later, when the when the crime scene was released, so. So here we have a situation where someone went through his possessions. They went through his wallet. They took what cash was there. They threw the phone and 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 some other items from from that billfold in the freezer, and then they took off.
1: People in the chat are at, uh, hypothesizing on a connection between the prior twenty you know ten pound marijuana trafficking and this. To, I mean, totally unrelated. Other people are saying it's totally unrelated. People don't make connections. Totally unrelated.
0: Yeah, totally unrelated. There's no connection to this. Okay. My, my, my brother's charge in South Dakota was specifically just for, for driving some marijuana uh, you know, through the state of South Dakota. They, and he pled guilty to it, and, and they gave him probation and some jail time. And, uh, and at this point, his jail time has been served because he was allowed to serve, serve it at the same time while waiting trial for, for this case.
1: Oh, let's get to the most. I, I, unless there's another piece of evidence that, that is more outrageous or that we haven't yet gotten to, um, the prison snitch. I swear to you, this is when we're, we're talking with the panel of lawyers, and I'm like, it's not possible that that evidence was presented of a prison snitch whose whose incriminating testimony against your brother is uh, your brother's alleged admission is an alleged night terror. In which your brother is sleeping, screams out something in his sleep, wakes up, and this prison snitch says, Tell me that you look into my eyes and tell me that you didn't do it, or tell me that you did it. And he looks into this prison snitch's eyes and says, I did it. Yeah, I did it. Flesh out that outlandish, outlandish story.
0: Yeah, that's uh you summarize it very well. Uh so Munch is his is the snitch's jailhouse nickname. This guy says that uh that while he was bunked with my brother, uh, my brother had the top bunk and he had the bottom, uh he was struggling to sleep and my brother was, was sleeping. And during my brother's sleep uh he said, Die, 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 motherfucker. And uh and then when he woke up uh, shortly after that uh, munch asked him he, he said he said you you know you talking in your sleep he said oh did i uh, in in response like wow what did i say and uh and and he said man you said you said some stuff about what you did he said did did you really do it and and he said he said what are you talking about he said he said, he said look me in the eye tell me tell me that you did it and he and he jumped down off of his bunk and he looked him right in the eye and he said yeah i did it that That was the confession that that Munch presented to the court, and during simultaneously to this confession uh this this quote this die 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 uh the the camera switched to to Michael gravely, the prosecutor, and he's mouthing simultaneously simultaneously with the witness die, die, die. You can slow it down. You can play it in real time. You can absolutely see him mouthing along with the testimony of the witness. This is a huge problem. Uh, One that was brought before the court, one that even Judge Schrader said, it appears as if you're saying it simultaneously. And then he says, I'm keeping this, referring to the flash drive that 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 was given to the court, and then proceeded to do absolutely nothing about it. And this is after Michael Gravely had inserted himself as a witness in the case as well. He refused to recuse himself. He said he had a personal vested interest in making sure that my brother stayed in jail. It was personal for Michael Gravely. And this is a problem that the prosecutor was willing to go to any length to try and get my brother locked up. This is, a, this is ethically just unimaginable.
1: Well, it, it's, I'm, I'm trying to see if I can find the die, die, die clip in real time here. Uh, I think I found I'll I'll find a shorter one. I, I don't want to fish through a 13 minute video, but I saw it. It's it's I mean it's it's in your face. And this is one of the other elements that you know we have discussed this Robert Barnes and I have in our streams. It's like when you have a shocking crime, an unresolved crime in order to quell, in order to feel like you're quelling public uh concern, uncertainty, find anybody. And at least if you have a conviction of anybody, people can sleep well, crime solved, even if it's not uh, a crime solved. And you know, and, and that speck of DNA, not knowing what if it's even blood, and is it outlandish? I mean, I, I still think like a critical person may be blackpilled a little bit. O.J. Simpson, in as much as I think he was guilty, I didn't know that that they actually literally took blood out of a vial, put it on a sock to make the evidence, and they found out about it only because the blood that they put on the sock contained whatever chemical is in the vials, and they knew that the blood came from a vial. I mean, okay. They, to the idea that the only DNA connecting any of this is a speck in an otherwise clean minivan that that was allegedly used to transport a 270-pound man in a in a carpet, it, it becomes outlandish.
0: I mean, I wouldn't classify it as clean. I would say that it was otherwise DNA-free.
1: <laughs> uh, I mean, crime clean. It was, I mean, <laughs> it was, It
0: was. yeah, it was a filthy, filthy minivan with, by the way, <laughs> other trash bags that you can see in some of the pictures, a larger contractor size trash bag, a box of them, uh, even, jammed below the passenger seat. Even so, more
1: exonerating, because it means that that van was not thoroughly cleaned out after an alleged use for cover-up of a crime. Absolutely. Now, so the snitch, I mean, it's it's outlandish, but his his there was an issue about the snitch confession not being recorded, and I, I, yeah. I, I forgot the so details of that.
0: Michael Gravely, Jessica Krasarek, the, the the ADA, the one that was also prosecuting the case, uh, uh, Correa, Detective Correa, and I believe one of the other detectives, four people went and interviewed uh, Munch for his testimony, just the four of them, completely off camera and And the four of them sat down and worked out his testimony completely off camera, so there's no testimony, no recorded evidence of this testimony, none whatsoever is but so then, is
1: is this known during trial, or is this stuff that you only know that's not submitted as yeah, a
0: trial uh, uh Birdsall, John Birdsall pointed out, and he said, "So you sat down with these individuals, and he pointed specifically at these individuals." to 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 give your testimony these individuals these three people right here and he pointed out all three of them all three of the people sitting at the prosecutor's table all three of them uh were present for him giving his jailhouse snitch testimony uh with one other police officer and no body cam footage no interrogation footage nothing there to verify it and and it, it was it was so aggravating for us to see that that they were willing to go to any length the, the reason why there was a second jailhouse snitch brought in was because Gravely had offered the same thing to him, offered him some sort of of deal to let this guy get off of some of his charges in some way that he would put in a good word for him. Right. And, and that's the promise, just like a handshake agreement, well, yeah, I'll put in a good word for you.
1: The, the I think the, rebu- I don't know when this was a juice as evidence, but he says, I haven't promised him anything. Um, yeah. I, but you know, but dot, dot, dot. I mean, it's 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 the insidious nature of corruption. You don't need the email saying "Here's what I'm going to give you." They know you play ball, and we'll we'll help you later on down the line. Right. Jailhouse snitch meets with the prosecutors, unrecorded, undocumented, taking his 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 story, and yep. that was like the smoking gun. He he looked me in the eyes and said, "I did it." And again, I look at that and say, "I don't believe that it happened." Period. Even right. if it did happen, there's a part of me that understands that your brother who is in his own mind and, and by, by, by the facts, it says maybe innocent of murder in a jailhouse with the, you know, the, the hardenedest criminals on earth. And what is he going to do to try to protect himself? He might say, yeah, I did it. Don't fuck with me. I'll, I'll you know, you'll end up, he might, have, he might even say that for his own self-protection, much like I, I thought would be a reasonable explanation for his nickname Houdini. So this snitch says that your brother's going around prison saying my nickname's Houdini because I make bodies disappear.
0: Um, I mean, for for the record, my brother has never, ever, ever claimed that he did it. Not a single time. It's never been a, his stance. He's always stood by his innocence and stood by the fact that he never committed this crime.
1: No, but what, what I mean to say is, like, it's conceivable even in jail, it, it,
0: right? It's don't, conceivable don't, that somebody would, right, to protect themselves. But yeah. he he specifically never did that.
1: Okay. Um, And now apparently the rumor was that his nickname was Houdini within prison. Everyone's got their nicknames. His was Houdini because he boasted about being able to make bodies disappear. That that testimony or that evidence came from the snitch witness.
0: Yes, but then it was not verified by the other person from the jailhouse that he had never heard him called Houdini. And that was, again, totally made up. So I I mean, there's there's very little believability in in that whole testimony. Almost none, really, other than the fact that he was there with him. Uh, there was the issue of of uh, of of the solitary confinement, the location of of the cells, uh, and also how how the the rounds work in solitary when you're taken out to to eat and what's allowed. People from upstairs are allowed to walk down past the people downstairs in their holding cells, and there was some argument, some some uh, some litigation between each side about whether or not. Uh, one prison snitch was capable of, of telling the other prison snitch how to jump on somebody else's case. Uh, and that was a, a, an, an argument that occurred in the courtroom. Uh, and, and, you know, they, they actually brought in pictures from one of the, one of the guards, uh, some body cam pictures about, uh, about the location of the two cells that each of them were, were in when they were in, uh, in solitary simultaneously. Uh, but that didn't rule out the possibility of them talking it just made made the claim that they couldn't do it from when they were in each other in cells individually
1: let me bring it up uh solomon i think i i think i got i think i got the good part here let me see this yeah this is it here check this out
0: uh i remember i was just, i was laying there the night um uh, before i told him about it the next day but i was laying there and i was reading my book and i heard him um shout in his sleep before he woke himself up. And, and what did he shout that you heard?
1: He said die, 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 motherfucker. There
0: you go. There it is. I... And you see the look of disbelief on my brother's face? Like, what is this guy talking about? Uh, and and it, he's just like sort of dumbfounded. Like, what? What? Like, this never the, happened.
1: It wasn't, uh, uh, try to steel man it, it wasn't as though the witness started to say die, and then he came in like oh no. yeah I'm, I'm about, he started boom that's the answer die, As,
0: die die yeah
1: all right that's the that's the prison house snitch that was the 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 confession and and by the way the media headlines ran with obsessed ex-boyfriend confessed to killing personish yep. uh, they, they didn't say snitch but
0: yeah they never even touched the fact that gravely was mouthing it they never even they never even talked about it so so you know think think about that i I mean the mainstream media ran with this idea that my brother was obsessed right that he was the obsessed ex-boyfriend murder trial they already painted him as a murderer and they painted him as 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 someone obsessed with uh with, with uh with with sadie you know that that he was this this crazed obsessed man and then and then they continue to run headlines like this that he's intimidating his daughter and then they they run headlines that he that he admitted to doing the crime you know as opposed to you know the 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 more notable headline, which is that the, the the prosecutor is mouthing along with testimony, that the prosecutor is leading questions where, oddly enough, coincidentally enough, when he gives multiple choice answers, the the answer is almost always, if not always, the last option that he gives. And does it consistently? He also mouths "yes" at uh, multiple times. Yeah, you know, along with uh, with uh, with uh, uh, people on the witness stand, he does this consistently because he's gone through all of these testimonies with people so much <laughs> because he he's nailed it down uh, to 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 the word verbatim, like like uh, like a. Uh, 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 what is it a a play mom like a a mom sitting in in the in the crowd while their while their daughter is on stage or their son is on stage uh it's uh it's grotesque
1: actually i forgot to ask when it came to the testimony of of your niece uh zach's daughter everybody was saying like he she was prepped for 40 hours with the da i just
0: that's what i was was told yeah where
1: where does that number come from Uh, is that
0: that was uh that was a figure that was given to me by my father so um in but they
1: they they pre- whether it's 40 hours 30 hours 20 hours the da yeah. spent a considerable amount of time prepping prepping your, your was was yeah. Sadie present when they were prepping the, uh, your daughter they she couldn't have been Nope. so they have a 14 or she's 14 or 13 at the time
0: yeah, uh, you know, f- uh, depending on on which which trial that they were prepping her for, because they had a mistrial prior mm-hmm. to this, so uh, so they had spent a bunch of time uh, in February leading up to the trial, prepping her for for this testimony, like a lot of time, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and it's it's not okay. Uh, like I said, uh, there's there's a specific statute. Uh, for minor testimony uh, in in the state of Wisconsin, that allows a minor to to just give a video a videoed statement just on on a camera to be able to give a statement uh, and then and then let it be. It is a lower threshold of psychological fallout. It is it is more respectful to the child, and they specifically chose not to. After the the ADA, who's now a judge, I believe, had said the reasoning why they put a, a restraining order, a, a no contact order between my brother and and my niece, was that she was in easily manipulatable minor yeah. witness this is this is a horrific thing for them to do they knew that she was manipulatable they knew that she was impressionable and they did it anyway
1: yeah people people in the chat are saying we're not sure if they were to get if they if the mother would have been present but if they're both witnesses you can't prep one witness in front of another normally nope. but this this doesn't look like things were done normally to begin with um
0: i believe it was all one on one Uh,
1: Okay, I think I mean, I I think we're getting to all of it here. Uh, The issue about how gravely the prosecutor made himself a witness in this trial, because this is like I've never done criminal law. I studied it, never practiced it. But the idea that there would have actually been a moment during the trial where the prosecutor was compelled to leave the courtroom while a witness testified. And then came back to continue being the prosecutor. It, it makes no sense to me. And when I talk about this with Robert Barnes, you know, during our, our weekly stream, I'll ask him his take on this. Um, just explain the context of how that happened and the details as to how that happened.
0: So there were multiple witnesses that actually changed their testimony after speaking with Michael Gravely. There was uh, there were a, a few statements read that 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 had changed their testimony. One of them was for Narita Masias. Marita Macias is the girl that was showing up at at Rosalia Gutierrez's apartment on the night of May the 17th. She was his his uh Facebook dating app hookup. She was the girl that that showed up and was texting him during the time of the alleged murder. She she claimed that she was outside of his building, saw a larger black woman come down the stairs, go outside, and that was all she saw. She didn't see anyone else go in or out of the apartment building at all. This was specifically damaging to the to the state's case because she was there seeing no one, no culprit, go in and out of the apartment, which is problematic. The the issue that that came up was that uh Michael gravely met with her to go over her statement. And then when she claimed that she went to the apartment, he said, Well, but the the maps program uh will take you to the wrong place. And she said, Oh, does it? Like I was confused and I drove around to a couple spots uh, and so he goes. How about this? I'll meet you at the at the crime scene. He drives to the crime scene. She drives to the crime scene. She parks in the wrong spot. He says, "Aha! You were in the wrong spot the whole time." So that that is that is what they claim tra- transpired. Uh, so I don't know where she parked. It was never on body cam footage. There was never photographs taken of where she claims it was. All it was was just a statement that she parked. Over And they they outlined it on the map. It was over to the east of the apartment, not in front of the apartment, where she would have been able to see inside the the apartment building. So she changed her statement. But in doing this with her, in meeting her over there and, and bearing witness to her parking in the wrong spot and going over this with her, he made himself a witness in this case because he witnessed her park in the wrong place. He then refused to recuse himself, and the judge refused to remove, remove him from the case, and, and, and they just went with it. It hasn't been done, to my knowledge, since 1978, and I might be wrong on that. I had looked it up on when it became unethical in the state of Wisconsin, and it was not done since then. I, I, I don't understand why they allowed it to continue and why judge schrader just allowed him to continue to prosecute the case he should never have been allowed to continue to prosecute the case Man, it I mean, gives it... him false credibility it it creates all sorts of headaches with the case in general it's it's bad practice it's completely unethical
1: yeah i mean to say the flip side is okay they'll kick him out and just get someone equally as corrupt in but maybe you get someone who's e- or i potentially equally corrupt maybe you get someone who's not and who will not Seemingly, coach the witnesses while they're on the stand.
0: What are they going to do? Bring Binger in?
1: I... <laughs> it's on. It's on. It's un, It's unreal. Um, sh- I mean, both uh,
0: both Binger and Gravely uh, made an attempt, uh, or Binger outright did, but but Gravely asked the judge for permission to violate my brother's rights. He asked the judge on more than one occasion how on more than one occasion how close to to the line he could get to violating my brother's right to silence. He asked the judge for permission to infer to to violate his right to silence. And he uh, he followed that up with also making sure that he tried to turn the burden of proof proof on the defense. And the judge allowed that to happen.
1: OK, f- flesh that out.
0: So uh, there's a point in the trial where uh, where they're. Uh, where they 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 try to assert that the defense can test the evidence as well in the on the crime scene, which implies that the defense had some onus to try and test all of the evidence presented in the trial, some onus of proof to the court. so gravely actually states that in front of the jury that that well the defense can can test this too. am I correct? And then the defense objects. But the judge allows him to continue with that. So the defense is then forced to say, but we're not allowed access to the to the crime scene. We're not allowed to go to the crime scene and test everything that the state didn't collect. So they're they're, they're then like forced into a position where they have to try and defend why they didn't test evidence that was talked about in the court that was not tested. Because the state failed to do their investigation thoroughly and properly. They failed to test items in the apartment that were clearly manipulated by the potential perpetrator, including the the shoe rack against the wall, uh, including the, the, the coffee tables moved off of the carpet, things like that, that were that were moved around or could have possibly been moved by the culprit, the perpetrator on on the crime scene that they never, ever bothered testing or processing. It's a huge issue, a massive issue that that. He burden shifted during during the trial in front of the the jury. It, it's it's unconscionable.
1: Um, I'm just going to read it. There's a couple of rants here. One says, "Hey, thank you." <laughs> Hold on, but one is a substantive one. It says they didn't have the spec evidence for seven months. There was no forensic evidence for seven months, but they still leaned on Zach the entire time without investigating a single other soul. That's from Gen RN310 Fleet That's- Lord Avenue. Fleet Lord Avatar has a link to um, something that's not related to
0: this. That, that's a, a really important point is that that realistically, this, this situation, they had no DNA results on anything until December of that year, late November, December of 2020. So during that, the rest of that time, the the, the police were supposed to be looking at all possibilities. A good investigator would start at the at, at the bottom, would chase every potential motive for making a man disappear. They they did not chase most of the financial issues that, that Gutierrez had in his life. He was back on his child support he owed Michael Campbell a few thousand dollars he owed another guy like 60 bucks there were some issues with with money he was bad with money it was very clear his mother had set up a joint checking account and then dumped money in it the previous week he had taken a 1000 dollars out of that joint account and used it to buy his children's baseball supplies and then food and stuff for the kids for the weekend so so there's there's evidence of him being very bad with money owing people money they didn't follow those leads and they didn't uh, – Schrader actually uh, told the defense that they weren't allowed to present it in court, that they weren't even allowed to bring his financial woes to, to court. So you have, you have a, a gross mishandling of, of, of this case by the police. These, these detectives didn't bother to chase any other lead for seven months while they continued to search uh, properties related to my brother. They searched the Christmas tree farm, like like I said, three times. They searched the house in Belgium that he was working on. They searched uh, Harrington Beach State Park. They searched his property, right? They they had uh, the the dump site, the the uh, where the the dumpster uh, from Gutierrez's apartment building was dumped the morning of of the of, of the report the report May the 19th. They had that on on May the 19th. Later that day, they went to the actual dump, the public dump. Where the the dump uh, uh, the garbage truck went and dumped mm-hmm. the contents. They had the section roped off. They had police there. When they heard that the carpet was missing from my brother's van, they released the the dump site, assuming that there was no evidence put in that dumpster that was that was worth any evidentiary value. There might have been Rosalio Gutierrez in that dump site. We'll never know.
1: It's, um, it's, 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 it's outrageous once you hear this and the, 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 the tactic. Oh, that, that was the question I was going to ask. How long after was your brother arrested?
0: He was or arrested. Or f- formally
1: charged, I should say. He
0: was formally charged with, with murder in December of 2020. So they didn't charge him with homicide until after they, they got the DNA test result from the back of the van, from that single speck, that one speck with mm. no other corroborating evidence, none moreover, with evidence that came back from the cell phone that was exculpatory, but they didn't bother following up on.
1: Did they, was there any issue of withholding other exculpatory evidence from the defense?
0: Uh, Well, they, they, they. they, so this is with the issue with the first mistrial was that uh, this Narita Masias situation was revealed to the defense in the opening statements of, of the prosecution. So the change in testimony was revealed in and that was March of twenty twenty-two. So last year in March, during the first trial, during the prosecution's opening statements, they objected to it because one, the, the state had waited until I believe the Thursday or Friday before the trial. They did not give the defense enough time to dig through a massive dump of information that the prosecution laid on on the defense. They didn't give them ample time to go through this the a bunch of evidence that they dumped on onto the uh onto the discovery. So the state did this tactic where they last minute dumped evidence that some of it was was damning for the state. And then and then they they uh they changed the testimony of, of Narita Macias as well uh during opening statements after jury selection during the first trial, to which they called it a mistrial because it was it was something that they absolutely never disclosed to the defense at all. And it was part of the defense's argument against mm-hmm. the timeline so so they they had to then revisit the evidence presented and then and then go for it again. Uh, that meant that they set a new trial date for i believe it was uh september of of last year. Unfortunately, in the interim, Judge Schrader had fallen. he had taken an injury and was hospitalized and was out of commission they They then just uh they canceled the court date because Schrader was injured and hospitalized, and they never set a new one. So, so my brother's lawyers filed a habeas corpus to try and release him because he, he had his right to speedy trial violated. Mm -hmm. The issue with that was that, that then the chief justice, uh, had to oversee the decision on the, on the habeas corpus. So the, the, the chief justice had to sit in and weigh in on this for the, 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 I believe it's second district court, maybe it's third district court or second district branch three or whatever it is, um, So the chief justice has to sit in. The first thing he says is, I have to recuse myself from this case. I'm personally connected to people involved in this case. I I should not be able to make decisions. But then he he moves forward to deny my brother habeas corpus and deny my brother change of venue.
1: Your brother's in jail this entire time?
0: In jail the whole time.
1: He has been in jail since being formally charged. So he was out for seven months or he was out. No.
0: He was formally charged with stalking on, on May the 19th and they held him in jail. They set his bail at $35,000 oh. $35, for, for stalking, only stalking, but they set it high because, uh, the judge said that he thought that he was a flight risk.
1: Well, I mean, it, he, whatever risk he might have or might've been, or might not have been one things for clear, one thing. Once he's in jail, at least he cannot be accused of further trying to conceal evidence. So, if the fact that they can't find anything except this spec seven months later,
0: um, they, they, they took the van, but the DNA tested testing took that long. So they waited to even formally charge him with with homicide until the DNA test came back.
1: Solomon, have I have I not asked you anything that I should have asked you? Is there any think, information that I th- I don't
0: that you- think that we've touched very heavily on the stalking? And, and, and it's very important that that we that we clear clear the air on the stalking. The, the, the homicide is right out. It's physically not possible. Not only did they testify to there not being any, any video footage of him driving to or from the crime scene on an impossible time, time frame, but in order for him to avoid the traffic cameras, he would have had to detour through country roads in a roundabout way that would have had to have added a half hour to an hour or more to his drive time for a very long drive to begin with, an hour plus, an hour and nine minutes, an hour and seven minutes, one way. The, the homicide is not physically possible. That is, that is definitive to the state's timeline, to what they presume it was impossible for my brother to have committed this crime. The other issue is the stalking, because he was charged with four things. One of them was homicide. Another thing was the hiding of a corpse, which is the disposal of this corpse, which they also never found any evidence of. Uh, Then there are two counts of stalking, one versus Sadie Beecham, the other versus Rosalio Gutierrez. So there's four counts against him total that they found him guilty of all four counts. There's some issues with the stalking. We touched a little bit on, on how Sadie had him regularly over at her home, how he was welcome to do laundry at her house, how they were co-parenting together, and all of those things. Though there, there was at least a tolerance between the two of them, even with the shaky state of their relationship, that he was allowed to be present and allowed to, to be present in the children's lives. The other issue is that is that she had sent him repeated text messages, things, things about inviting him over for dinner, things about calling him a pet name and saying XOXO and telling him good night, asking him why he didn't spend the night. Uh, her specifically saying to Rosalio Gutierrez uh, or, or maybe to Zach directly, I don't remember uh, what the recipient was, but she said, uh, and I quote, if you fuck with me, I fuck with you back. That, that's what she said to him very specifically. That is not fear that is not an extreme emotional state that is that is her uh going getting ready to mama bear at, at at him specifically about the 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 placement of the children this is a custody battle between the two of them that is an issue that made her then uh try and start developing this tale of him stalking her because he was then making sure that he he was getting ready for family court and he had accused her of not being home very often and leaving the children and and leaving them behind and things like that which was a concern for him because their daughter at the time was 11 and uh and and the twins were i believe four at the time four almost five so so at that point uh the kids are young uh, and she would do that frequently or leaving them with friends. There was the issue with her going to Mexico in the beginning of March and setting up time uh, babysitters with her friends as opposed to giving my brother the right of first refusal, which is exactly what should have happened. Is That she should have reached out to him and said, I'm taking off. I'm going on vacation. Uh, do you have time? What's your schedule like to watch the children? She specifically avoided doing that. To then uh have it slip to him later, and then he showed up in the middle of the night, which was testified to uh that he had shown up and and woken the children up and made them breakfast before school. uh The timeline on that is uh they they said early in the morning but uh but but there was uh there was an assumed timeline by Rebecca Jekyll, whom i don't think is uh is a trustworthy witness based on on the things that she said. Uh, there's also testimony uh, that was that was presented between Sadie Beecham and and Rosalia Gutierrez about this Plan B, which included breaking my brother's legs. This is a very important thing that uh, that they were talking about a custodial dispute, and Sadie was was complaining to Rosalia Gutierrez, who had two previous custodial disputes and he was talking about building a paper trail. And she said, I'm already doing that. She specifically had already testified to the fact that she was building a case against my brother for taking to family court. This was all about placement of children and money. This is very specifically about about child support and and that sort of thing. So we have a situation between Sadie and Rosalia where she says, oh, I've definitely thought about a plan B. And plan B being that that Rosalio or somebody that Rosalio knows would show up at my brother's home and beat the daylights out of him, maybe breaking his leg to send him a message that they can't mess, that that, that he can't mess with her or whatever it is that, that they're inferring. And when, when they're, when they're arguing about custody. So this is, this is the type of situation that my brother is up against someone that's willing to entertain the plan B in this, and even says, to the man after he asked her for permission he said i won't do it unless you tell me to that that she says poppy no snitch and he tells her to delete the text messages and she does this is a this is this is uh, you know on the border of criminal this is an issue that that the state the police never even bothered investigating her. For furthermore, she has discussions with her best friend Rebecca Jekyll about picking up a cell phone. And then, less than a week before Rosalio goes missing, Rebecca Jekyll texts Sadie and says, "The phone call has been placed. It'll happen, or it'll begin in the next week, and you won't know the you know who or where." Those are her what she says, and and I I think I have the quote somewhere around here, but. But very specifically saying that it will begin in the next week. And then and, and, th- and that's in reference to what? And when questioned on the stand, uh, they say, oh, that was just banter. And Rebecca Jekyll says, well, I was just trying to throw Zach off because I thought that he was listening or watching our text messages, which is completely not believable. At all. It's it. Their testimonies are all over the place. They they impeach themselves with their own statements. Uh, they're they're inconsistent. If you watch their testimonies, they are not trustworthy witnesses, period. And I understand that that's up to the jury to decide in making the t- this decision about the conviction. But the reality is that they absolutely contradict their own testimony consistently through. And they have this very suspicious line of text messages that the police never even bother looking at. They never actually investigate Rebecca Jekyll, her connection, this mysterious cell phone, nothing that she did. Absolutely nothing. How many times can the police fail to investigate a suspicious actor in in, adjacent to, to a man's disappearance for them to be at fault for negligence?
1: Well, it's not just, it's, it's, it's that, and it's that they've placed all of their resources and all of their interest on one person who it might be the easiest to go after. And, uh, the media did a good job leading up to this trial to paint an image of someone who went into a trial without, I, I without a chance is 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 not necessarily the right statement because um, I, from what you're describing, from what I understood and from what I've seen, the I mean the evidence is literally not there. I mean, you, no. no body, no weapon, no, no other than the speck, no carpet, no the burn, the burn pit, which everyone thinks is the most incriminating thing on earth, doesn't even have blood on the remaining unburned sock. Uh, what are you doing now um, for ju- I mean, what are you doing now for in order to uh, seek justice on your end? Like you, you've got an appeal. Yes. For whatever that's worth. Uh, it, it's it's tough to overturn jury convictions. Um, it really is. Yeah. There's the pending issue about I mean, the, the issue about um, the D.A. there gravely. Um, is his name gravely?
0: Yeah, Michael Gravely. Oh, that's an
1: unfortunate last name also. Uh mouthing off to the witness or mouthing the witness testimony. I mean, even that sanctions, ethics, whatever, you still got the condemnation. Uh you're you're working for an appeal and are you also looking to get Private investigators to conduct your own potential investigation here. That's
0: that's correct. Yeah, I I didn't get a chance to touch base on the on the fourth charge, which is against uh, Rosali Gutierrez, which there's no evidence presented whatsoever, none. There's no evidence that that was ever presented. So I'll I'll get to the the path forward, but but very very specifically, he even said in a text message to Sadie, I'm not worried. When referencing Zach and what Zach might do, and talked about going to Zach's property and giving him a taste of his own medicine, and you're talking of going through his vehicle,
1: in terms of the the stalking charge, the idea being, look, it's not stalking; they're not scared, and it's almost consensual invitation or or interactions.
0: Exactly, yeah. Yeah. In in this case, uh, you know, you you might, maybe, plausibly have have some argument for criminal harassment, at most, but in this case he's completely innocent of stalking. It's not there. Um, so, so uh, again, this is, this is a a massive issue that, that they found him guilty on all four charges with nothing other than hearsay and speculation and, and, uh, and a prosecutor that lied and, and, and spun a tale with a lot of maybes and, and supposition through his entire, his entire closing argument. So, uh, with that misleading the, the, the jury, which is supposed to be factual in basis, you know, in, in, in the ethics, in, in the actual, uh, in, in the, the bar association, what, what this is supposed to do, it's supposed to be a factually based argument, uh, an opine based in fact to the jury to, co- to convince them that your, your argument is sound. And it just wasn't, it was full of, of lies and mistruths. So, so that's, that's a huge issue. Uh, you know, uh, gravely's lack of ethics his violation of my brother's constitutional rights the judge being biased is another thing that that is very important to recognize the rulings that he made the fact that he refused to allow uh the uh, um that now we i mentioned the denny motion uh, uh, against michael campbell uh, there are three things that, rec- that that a denny motion requires it's the motive the opportunity and the means to commit the, the crime you have a potential motive of being owed a bunch of money, the means uh, by by which he had an enclosed trailer, uh, and the opportunity. He was available that night to, to commit this crime. Uh and and the only person that, that testified that he was home was Erica Saylor, which could have been his accomplice in this, because they had seen a brunette woman on the patio on the on the day of the eighteenth. It's very possible that she was she was his accomplice in doing this. And of course she would cover up for him if that's the case. Now that is that's an opinion. I don't I don't know that she is the person, but I know that something happened on the 18th, and it seems to be consistent with the evidence presented that the 18th is a suspicious day. Now, if you if you're looking at this through an objective lens, we have the judge ruling that that allowing the DA to to define the the speck in the van as blood, uh, refusing to allow the the defense to present the the, the debt as as evidence. Uh, of, of a potential motive for any other actor to commit this crime. Uh, he's, he's letting uh, the, the DA say whatever he wants and, and allowing him to inference the violation of my brother's Mm -hmm. constitutional rights. Uh, and, and, uh, and he sits on his thumbs the entire time. Furthermore, in, in, uh, in the end of the trial, when we're in sentencing, he, he then, uh, he disparages my sister's uh letter to the court which is written uh in the format that was pr- provided to us by the court uh which includes an introduction of yourself who you are and you, how you're related to uh to to the accused uh and then and then you're supposed to go on to to present a a, a character statement for for the person being sentenced because every sentencing is supposed to be individualized underneath, I believe, the Sixth Amendment. So then we have the judge willing to potentially even violate an interpretation, at least, of a violation of the Sixth Amendment in not allowing us to speak on my brother's behalf. That is indicative of bias of a judge. And and I don't know that he's ever had anything to overturned based on this bias, but based on, on the rulings that he made in, in, in the pretrial hearings, During the trial, what he allowed, the fact that he refused to give gravely any consequences for his inappropriate conduct in the courtroom in mouthing along with with witness testimony or making him recuse himself from the case, the fact that the judge refused to do that implies that the judge was biased, very, very biased in in pursuing this case. And the question is, what would the, the judge's motive be to be biased? You know, we have what what is well, a unicorn just, case, right? Well, just
1: you know, overall concealing generalized corruption. I mean, it's it's one right. corruption does not like to expose corruption, but
0: uh, we also have a unicorn case. We have a a, a bodyless homicide, right? We have a, a bodyless well, homicide. I,
1: it's 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 the irony, Bodiless homicide, but then charges for concealing a body. I mean, that's that's I mean, yeah. that's it's almost
0: Kafkaesque. Yeah, exactly. It, it's it's the the snake eating its own tail, right? Uh, it's uh it it it's it's mind boggling. From from our perspective as the family, you know, we 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 were wondering why they'd set the, the bail so high initially. We didn't know and, and then they we find out that this man is missing. You know, there's, there was some issues that we had with this. We were trying to plan for, for the future of what was going to happen with my brother's property, with his, with his rentals. We were under the impression that this was going to be an in and out, that, that there was not much evidence that they were bringing and and that this wasn't going to turn sideways until they found the speck of blood. And they, and they, they asserted that it, that it was, that it was blood and that it was, uh, that it was in, in the back of my brother's van. It wasn't ever blood you know because from us we're only getting things from the press we read these press releases and we're like wow that sounds that sounds terrible i don't see how that was possible for them to have found that but mm-hmm. if they found it they found it so we're trying to go into the trial with an open mind we sit through the trial we see what they present and then we're absolutely outraged by this completely outraged that they had they had taken him and they had they had run him through a kangaroo court to try and 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 get a conviction because the win was more important than justice and because the win was more important they not only destroyed my brother's relationship with his children destroyed a, a massive piece of our family and 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 altered my brother's entire life but they also destroyed justice for for Rosalio Gutierrez if that man is dead the perfect person that killed him. That person should be in prison, and the police did not do their diligence, and this court did not do them justice in running a case like this. It is a it is an absolute mockery of our justice system, and it's not the only time this happens. It happens all the time in our in our court system, and it and it is, a, is an issue that prosecutors are able to lie, spin, and, and tell false, fraudulent testimony, fraudulent things to, to a jury to try and get a conviction. Over, over presenting truth, it, it is it is presenting bias to a jury to try and to try and get a conviction to try and get that W. Like you said, put a body in prison to appease the populace more than it is about finding the person that did it and putting them in jail where they belong. This is an issue with our justice system, and it is it, it sickens me that that we're on the losing side of this. That 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 both the Gutierrez family and my family gets to reap the corruption in, in the Kenosha system at the very least, if not if not the wider system as a whole. And what can we do to, to 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 overturn this? We're raising money, as you said, for private investigators. We're raising money uh, to investigate, uh, you know, the the actual case itself to see if we can get a proper investigation to to look at the jury to see if there is bias there, to uh, to look at the DNA evidence because that needs to be revisited to see to see what might have gone wrong or or what they did wrong or or, or what that evidence really shows. Uh, so we need to be able to do all of those things. We need to be able to order the court transcripts. All of these things cost tens of thousands of dollars. This is not just a drop in the bucket. This is a very expensive thing to do, and, and you know the average cost of an appeal is is somewhere around one hundred fifty thousand dollars by the end of it, uh, and that's even with you know court-appointed attorneys. And, and this is. This is not just cut cut and dry. You know the, the the attorneys that that we talked to, you know, had told us 150 to 200 thousand dollars to to represent my brother for the appeal, and uh, and that's I mean that's not going to happen. We're not going to be able to 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 come up with another you know 150 to 200 thousand dollars because because my brother's already spent that much on on his current attorneys. It's it's not it's not like you get the you know, the winning hand here. If if the jury gets it wrong because the 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 prosecutor is allowed to lie and manipulate, then the consequences on on the on the families and on the accused are 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 so egregious that they're almost insurmountable. That's why the innocence project and the exoneration project exists, because it's an uphill battle. And no matter what, you're looking at, on average, 12, 14 years in prison before you're released. How many years is that of of my niece's life? How many years is that of my nephew's life? They'd be completely estranged. This is this is criminal inaction. I, I I don't understand why we have no room for for consequence on 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 prosecutors that are willing to withhold exculpatory evidence, are willing to lie to get convictions. If you can prove that a prosecutor did that, why is there not consequences? to their actions i'm not saying that we should completely overturn prosecutorial and judicial immunity but if they knowingly tamper with evidence they knowingly put someone in prison wrong wrongfully they know that they're doing the wrong thing and they're just doing it to win the case then they should serve jail time they should be removed from their position and they should be fined very heavily and i believe in that very strongly
1: i don't think there's many people who are going to disagree with you on that um Solomon, so I, I'll put the link to the give send go. Thank you. Um, uh, I'll, I'll pin that afterwards now to end this. Um, I, I don't know if you're comfortable doing it. I, I, I unheard of that. They don't let the family of Zach speak. Even if he was convicted, you had a statement. Do you, do, do you want to read the statement that you would have read? Uh, I don't want to put you on the spot.
0: I find that it's, it's, uh, it doesn't have the same emotional impact. The, the follow-up times I can read it. Um, but, so,
1: no. So you know what? No, not, not necessarily. I mean, I think it's just a question of, of, of um, there's going to be, the, there will be no um, undoing of that wrong as, as it's been. Um, all right. Now we're so people are going to go give, send, go. What can they do? Where can they find you? And um, what can they do to help?
0: Uh, I think, uh, I mean, I, I can, I can at least cite, cause I've talked about quite a bit of, 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 of my, my statement here, um, already in my interview with you, it's, it's something that I believe very strongly in, uh, there is something that, that people should be aware of, uh, and that's the exoneration projects, uh, uh their, uh, uh, the, the national registry of exoneration, uh, their statistics on, on wrongful convictions. It's something that, that people believe only happened, uh, consistently before dna evidence became an issue or became became the the mainstream in 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 getting convictions but the reality is that there's a lot of errors in dna evidence processing Uh, and uh and and unfortunately because of that uh you know we have uh the statistics from the national registry of exoneration saying that that somewhere between two and ten percent of all convictions are wrongful wrongful convictions outright Uh, there's an estimated Uh, Up to 230,000 inmates in the United States prison system that are innocent and exonerated people have have already served over 25,000 years in our correctional system as of June of 2021. That should put some things into perspective for people that believe that our justice system is getting it right every time and are so willing to jump on the mainstream media bandwagon where, where the mainstream media is using clickbait titles to try and get people to, to invest themselves into stories of, of someone that's accused of a crime who is presumed innocent. This is a, an important uh, a, an important optic of, of, of our judicial system. One of the core pillars is that the accused is innocent unless, unless proven beyond reasonable doubt that they committed the crime, yeah. and that is that is beyond beyond probably did it. That is beyond well most likely. That is that if there is if there is another explanation behind the evidence presented, behind the situation presented, all of the evidence as it's presented. If there's if there's another feasible situation presented if there's another way for you to rationalize how the crime could have been committed as, as, as a human being, the answer is not guilty. We need to be cognizant about that as, as citizens, as potential jurors is a very important thing because people get it wrong a lot.
1: It's not that they get it wrong. They get it wrong when there's a concerted effort. So, you know, it's, it's modern day Coliseum type justice. That's right. Um, And the statistics are, 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 they're shocking and it's why as an adult I've come to realize like, I can't support the death penalty anymore even if in principle yeah. I I do because like this situation uh, the the one coming out of um I think it's Oklahoma Glossly it's just it's one after the other and I I started off thinking okay can't, can't, the jury must have gotten it right and I heard the headlines and then I just yeah. scratched the surface and then you keep scratching Sullivan um Hold on. There was, I had a last thought
0: to, ways to get a hold of me. So uh, the give yeah. send go, you, you posted the link. We also have, have our free Zachary Anderson shirts. We have, we have the free Zachary Anderson shirts. As you see right here, uh, those are on bonfire. I, I sent you a link to those as well. So if you, if you want to buy uh free Zachary Anderson swag, that's where you go. Uh, we have a uh, uh, two different links. Uh, one is, I think I just sent you one of them. For, Actually, I, I, uh, I
1: see them now in the private chat. So I'll, I'll use those to pin afterwards. Uh,
0: all right. And then, and then there's, uh, there's also our Facebook group, so if you want, if you want to join our cause and and use your voice to join us, hashtag Free Zachariah Anderson, as you see right right below me, uh, right there. Uh, we have a Facebook group. Uh, we've got a, 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 over a, a thousand members in our Facebook group right now, uh, all all working towards uh, pushing for uh, free freeing my brother or, or or helping us organize for the appeal and donate uh you can also get information there where we're posting on if you want to write Zach letters he's happy to be a pen pal with people uh please write him uh, the old style way he prefers it that way it costs quite a bit of money uh for internet access and per message so uh so we'll have uh his new address he was just transferred facilities uh, uh posted on the on our on our uh Facebook group very shortly um and and if you're able to please please give to the give send, give, send go uh it helps us tremendously pay for these expenses that i talked about these are all major ticket issues tens of thousands of dollars it's it is not inexpensive to try and overturn a conviction uh let alone defend someone in in the court of law um uh, if only if you're able if you're not able uh or or otherwise even if you are able please spread word you know viva you're doing this for us right now uh, thank you very much this this raises awareness we should all be uh, cognizant of the fact that that if this conviction is not overturned in the in the appeals court that means that that it's been tried in the appeals in the appeals court and and upheld which makes the case precedential the the judge himself schroeder himself said specifically that he allowed more hearsay into this case than he has ever allowed in any case in 40 years on the bench that is concerning to all of us as citizens, that we could infringe upon our, our rights as individuals if this, if this is upheld uh, to the point where hearsay legislation could be changed based on a precedence established in my brother's case. That is not okay for us as individuals to protect our ability to defend ourselves in situations where, where finger point accusations can put you in jail, can put you in prison. We have a justice system in the state of Wisconsin where you're allowed to charge someone for for time incarcerated. So you can finger point someone out, have them arrested for stalking like this. They can be thrown in jail and then they can be charged room and board. So not only are you are you stripped, you're fined, you're, you're you might lose your job and everything else while you're waiting your your day in court to 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 then prove your innocence. Afterwards, they can still charge you a monthly fee like rent when you've now lost your job and your life is in tatters. That's legal in the state of Wisconsin. This is wrong on all levels. Everything that they do, if we establish fingerpoint accusations as, vo- as, as some sort of valid way to lock someone up in family court, think of the amount of cases of, of divorce and custody battle that this could affect. This is obscene. It should not be allowed.
1: All right. Well, uh, I was going to say I was going to say it's it's the Pelosi era of justice. You'll be able to prove your innocence in court. Um, And I was skeptical of the degree to which this was a a fiasco of justice. And I'm I'm not so skeptical anymore. And I don't think many people would be skeptical after having watched all of this. Solon, thank you. Godspeed and and good luck with everything. We'll say our proper goodbyes after I end this stream, but um, I'll post it to YouTube afterwards as well in its entirety so everybody can see it there. Uh, but Solomon, th- thank you for coming on and and going into such detail.
0: Thank you very much for having me. All I right, everybody, it.
1: enjoy the rest of the day.